All right, good evening. Let's call to order the special council meeting study session of February 14th, 2023. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for the meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. The City Council meeting is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by Government Code Subdivision 54953E and Resolution Number 1089-21, reaffirmed by City Council on February 7th, 2023. Council members have the options of participating remotely or in person. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised hand feature online to request to speak, star nine on a telephone. Location and teleconference meeting details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live teleconference, uh, sorry, the live transcript button. Following the study session, the regular city council meeting will begin at 7 p.m. We encourage the public to stay tuned and participate in the regular meeting. City Clerk, may we please have the roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Seven present. Thank you, City Clerk. Uh, we'll move on to the first item of our agenda, uh, item A. Two, uh, 230322 Human Relations Commission 2023 Annual Work Plan. Is there a staff report? Yes, Vice Mayor, members of the Council, Jackie Guzman, Deputy City Manager. I'm here with Equity, Access, and Inclusion Manager Fernanda Perdomo Arcinigas to talk about the Human Relations Commission and specifically the work plan. So I'll give you, excuse me here. All right, I'm going to um, just give a bit of background for the benefit of the new council members and members of the public that may be joining virtually, um, and just review the policy issues that the Human Relations Commission is going to cover, the composition of the commission, and then get into the draft work plan and the recruitment plan. So as far as background, um, in January 2021, um, the creation of a Human Relations Commission was proposed as a study issue. And in March of 2022, the majority of the council expressed support for establishing um, a Human Relations Commission and then adopted it um, in June uh, 2022, or sorry, in June 2022, with the adopted budget, um, the council funded the Human Race Relations Commission, and in November 2022, the council adopted and established the Human Relations Commission. And in doing so, the council requested that staff work on a draft work plan um, and have that work plan reviewed by a council subcommittee, which we did in January 2023. So I'll just go over a bit of background on um, what the Human Relations Commission is tasked to do. So um, as approved by council, the commission will advise on policies, systems, and programs related to equity, access, inclusion, and social justice. They'll advise on ways the city can make its services more accessible 
to the public and increase transparency, and they'll promote regular, civil, and authentic communication with diverse groups of residents. They'll also celebrate and encourage intergroup understanding of the rich cultural diversity in Sunnyvale. The commission is made up, it will be made up of five commissioners that will serve up to two four-year terms, very similar to many of our commissions. And as far as eligibility, um, they can, the commissioners can either be residents or up to one can be a non-resident that represents a local nonprofit agency that serves Sunnyvale residents. So um, on January 23rd, we did take this item to the Boards and Commissions Subcommittee for review. That was the committee that uh, the mayor decided to have review this work plan. The subcommittee um, did approve of the work plan with some modifications, which are included in the draft work plan that was um, attached to this agenda item. And I wanted to call out some specific feedback that we got. One um, is that there was a discussion about a work product for the Human Relations Commission, specifically a report to council on equity, access, and inclusion gaps in Sunnyvale, uh, along with some recommendations. There was not a discussion as to a timeline for that, but that would be a goal that um, the subcommittee uh, would be looking towards and so we would appreciate an understanding from council if that is um, a direction that you would like us to work on with the commission um, and um, you know that could imply that we need potentially some outside consulting support for that it really depends on on the type of report you want um, and and this you know how detailed you want us to be in our analysis the other thing um, is there was a discussion about uh, the size of the commission and the subcommittee um, did mention that they would consider increasing the number of members, commission members to seven, and that that could be something that the council um, could consider uh, in the future. Um, and I think that discussion happened because we have quite a, an ambitious work plan and, and you'll You'll get more details on that. Um, and then they did request this study session. They wanted the full council to be able to review the work plan um, and provide input. And so that's why we are here today. And to go over the specifics of the work plan, I'll invite um, Fernanda to come up. Thank you, Jackie. So as Jackie said, my name is Fernanda Perdomo-Siniegas. My pronouns are she, her, ella, and I am the Equity Access and Inclusion Manager. And we're going to go over the work plan. Um, so you can actually um, see that for if this is uh, approved mayor and members of the council, um, this will be our work plan for this year. Um, for the month of July, we have um, the selection of the chair and vice chair for the commission, as well as some commission, um, as some training. During the month of August, we have a debrief um, the Sunnyvale Unity Series and discuss some next steps. Uh, we'll do a city demographics overview and discuss um, 
different events for celebration of heritage months and affinity celebrations. For the month of September, we'll have a discussion with community partners, um, more training uh, by uh, me and also training by um, GARE, determine some areas of study as well, uh, presentation done by the SEAT team, and discuss uh, events for heritage months and affinity celebrations. In October, we'll have discussion again with um, another community partner, plan difficult conversations and uh, series and civility roundtables. And, um, oh, sorry, I am not following with the, oops, sorry, yeah. Excuse me, I'm not very familiar with, <laughs> with the clicker. Oh my God, I finished it. Jesus, sorry. <laughs> okay, for the month of November, uh, we'll have the presentation by community partners as well. Um, we'll plan the, uh, for an intergroup dialogue training, and we'll host, host a difficult conversation to see related roundtable. And in December, we have a plan and a recommended 2024 work plan and um, another presentation by our community partner. So what about the recruitment timeline? Well, um, if this is approved, this will be our timeline, um, starting today with the discussion of the work plan on February 14. Um, we'll recruit, um, we open recruitment February 27. There will be seven week application window until it closes uh, on April 14. Um, the interviews will be held between May 8th and 9th. The commissioner appointments will happen May 16. Oath of office will be uh, June 6, and the first meeting will be on July 13. This aligns with all other recruitment processes uh, for all other boards and commissions. Who are our recruitment targets? Well, for this commission, we're thinking that our plan, our applicants need to reflect the city's demographics. So we're going to look at race, ethnicity, household income, age, housing status and type. So owner renter, single family, multifamily, and mobile homes, and uh, which district they are coming from. We're also looking at our community partners to help us in and guide us in the selection process. And you can find a list of all those community partners. If you have any other suggestions, please um, let us know. And I think that concludes our presentation. So please let us know if you have any questions. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I'll turn it over to my colleagues if they have questions. Uh, First up, we have Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for the presentation. It's a pleasure to meet you. Finally, thank you for the work that you're doing now and will do for the city. It's a really exciting project you're undertaking, and you have my full support um, in, in all of your efforts from what I see so far. So I'll just jump into my questions. Um, so how will we determine the agenda items for the commission, or is that still part of the process that we're undergoing? Well, I think that that's part of what the work plan are. The, these are the starting agenda items. Of course, when 
I think the council's point in asking us to bring back a work plan is they wanted, as we're doing our recruitment, for potential commissioners to know the type of work that they're doing. That doesn't mean that this is completely set in stone. So this is sort of a, a working draft that we want um, council to say, yes, you're in the right direction. But when the commission joins, we'll obviously share with them the work plan, get their feedback, and then determine if there are tweaks and, and agenda items that they want to add, and of course, calendar those in. Yeah, I guess what I mean is some commissions like maybe BPAC or Planning Commission and Sustainability Commission, they get items uh, that will come before council. Oh, that's right. So um, will, what will we be, like what is our criteria there? Because you yeah. could say everything we do has to do with equity, access, and inclusion, which it does, mm -hmm. but I, I can't imagine that, that they would have the capacity to do that. So how would we say this agenda item that's going to come before council should go to them? Is there, could we have like a criteria? I, I think it would be something that is really focused on um, policies that really try to get to the heart of reducing inequities in Sunnyvale, um, addressing accessibility issues um, in Sunnyvale, or specific transparency issues, which is you know what this commission is mandated to do. So for example, um, a couple of things that um, we've already thought might come to this commission is first the guaranteed income pilot. Um, program study issues, so that's something that we think would be very appropriate for the Human Relations Commission to review and um, provide feedback on for council. Um, and then there was another one. If you do, you have the work plan. Yeah. There was another one on here. Like Just I could think, like tree equity, for example, when we're thinking about that. It could be if we're looking at specifically how we determine. Um, you know, for, if it's like tree canopy equity or even, you know, how we we decide on, um, you know, a policy for curb cuts, for example, if there's, that seems like it's something that's more public works, but if that decision of being complaint-based versus um, having a different methodology for addressing those issues and that's creating inequities, then this commission would certainly, we would want them to, to take a look at that. Um, oh, there was another uh, discussion of the protection of Amamuts and sacred grounds at um, Eurostack. And so that's another issue that would likely come to this commission. Those are the two that I've identified so far. But it's also up to the, the council. Who do you want advice from? And so the council can identify that you want specifically this commission to look at the to look at an issue. That's awesome. So like, I would probably say, you know, when we talk about policies to support the unhoused, for example, or even when, you know, this is kind of out there, but thinking about the housing element, because we're charged with affirmatively, affirmatively furthering fair housing, like, hey, take a look. Like, what are we doing? Are we missing something in, in terms of fairness that we should be looking at? That would be early in the process, but um, that's kind of what I see there. And um, another question I had is, um, council member, or chair, not chair, um, Councilmember Mellinger, uh, during his, and I'm sorry to steal your thunder if I am, during the Boards and Commissions subcommittee meeting brought up perhaps having a voting member from Homestead or Fremont um, that would sit there, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, on that, here, having that youth voice there. So right now there is no um, restriction for any youth to participate in this commission. So there isn't an age requirement, so if a youth would want to participate, if three youth would want to participate, they are eligible and council could appoint them. 
Yeah. The the only thing that I think of there is, you know, you, kids go off to college often. Mm -hmm. and, and perhaps somebody, say a sophomore or junior, um, they wouldn't be in, you know, perhaps even in California or even the United States. So I would, and this is something to throw out to my colleagues, I guess, support something like a, a dedicated spot for um, a member of uh, a high school student appointed in sophomore year and serves the two years, and then it should, like, changes over. I think getting that youth perspective, regardless of whether or not they apply, because especially if they know that, man, I can't do this for four years. <laughs> I'm uh, going to leave for college and violate the Brown Act. Mm -hmm. Having that spot open, um, I think, would be something I'd like to see, perhaps, but I'd like to hear from my colleagues. Um, then, so, back on the slide, or it, it was mentioned... Uh, a difficult conversation roundtable, which I think is a fantastic idea. Now, how would that differ from what we do now? I'm going to let Fidmama answer that. Um, if you could actually give me a little bit more background as far as what you do now. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm having brain. It's not working. What are they called that we do now? The unity sessions. Thank you. We've had a couple of them some years ago. Um, the unity sessions that we have now versus the difficult conversation roundtable. Um, well, for, for the difficult conversations will be um, something that has to, like a topic that has to be defined prior to. Usually these topics, they um, tend to um, address issues of race, uh, ethnicity, and or situations that have happened recently in, you know, either in the community or in the United States or in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so there's always kind of like an educational background that goes uh, prior to the conversation. Then there is a set of community rules. Uh, we do talk about um, active listening. Um, there are some rules that I also use, uh, usually related to intergroup dialogues, which addresses um, the commonalities that people have. Um, going towards an understanding of our difference as well, but standing, starting from our commonalities. So there is uh, a big part of an educational component, and then we open it up to conversations. We just don't jump into these difficult topics just uh, without guidance. So, I, yeah. And I think that's the critical part there, and thank mm -hmm. you for kind of spelling that out for me, that this would be, there's homework. And so you listen to the, a podcast, read a book, watch Absolutely. a movie. And then everyone goes in with a kind of shared set of knowledge, rather than the unity circles, which people come and it's very valuable. Um, but you know, people come as they are, really, to those uh, tables, and this is more of a education steps forward. Yes, and you bring a really good point because on uh, the application, we are making sure that people who apply to this commission understand there is a big. Um, uh, part of that is learning and reading and watching videos. So there is that educational component that they have to understand is going to take time from their day that is not just going to come show up without any preparation for, yeah. And, and that would be open to the public? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. I can't wait to participate. I hope <laughs> my colleagues do too. I think if we're asking people to do it, I know that I want to lead by example and know that I'm always open to learning. Um, it, it's really exciting. I think it's going to be fun. Um, and then you asked for a suggestion for the recruitment piece. I would suggest um, co uh, faith communities as well. We have some very involved um, religious institutions in the city, a lot of people who are interested in justice and in equity. Um, I think that would be a really good place to look for some folks. I can already think of a couple off the top of my head who are If you uh, can share those that way. with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Thank you. Sure. Okay. 
Um, and that's all I got for right now. But thank you very much. Look forward to hearing the rest. Thank you so much, Councilmember Cisneros. Next, we have Councilmember Sell. Um, I want to thank you for coming on board. I've heard that you're very experienced, so thank you for helping Sunnyvale in this way. Um, I was thinking that um, when Sunnyvale um, came up with our districts, we used to have like at-large elections and then we changed to district elections. And in order to, we had um, like a unity type group that all worked together in like a work group to like come up with um, all these different characteristics of Sunnyvale. And then those groups were all representative of different neighborhoods and different things. And they kind of all worked together to voice um, just brainstorm things that they wanted in this map. And then a core group of people took all those brainstorming ideas and um, made proposals for the unity map. And then the unity map is the map that Sunnyvale basically chose for our districts. So I think that kind of, um, like you have all these recruitment partners and um, in addition to the recruitment partners helping you to recruit, it might be good to have like, I don't know, a quarterly or semi, you know, semi-year meeting, which all the partners come together, and you have like some topics and some brainstorming, so that it's um, you're always staying in touch with all these different groups in Sunnyvale, and those groups are feeding into um, what the core commission. Um, ideas for the core commission. Maybe that might be good. So the other thing is, um, how are you determining who are your partners? Is it just we, uh, just various community members would give you a list and, and then you look at that? Or? Yeah, these are, um, I, I'm glad that you bring up redistricting because these are largely partners that we worked with during the redistricting partners to get people engaged in the process. And um, these were groups that I visited and um, we plan to in this pro recruitment process visiting those partners, going to them, going to their meetings, talking about the Human Relations Commission, um, what it's going to do in encouraging people to apply. Um, and if I had the all of the list of of the unity group members, it's certainly a, a group that I would tap into, but I know many of them are involved in these different organizations. I actually have that list of unity group members because yeah, I was happy to in reach that out to them. Okay, that sounds great. And um, yeah, it looks like a very comprehensive work plan, so thank you for working on it, and I'm glad you're um, open to tweaking it when the actual commissioners come on board, because I think um, when a commissioner comes on board, they're like wanting to be part of the process, so um, listening to their feedback is always like something that commissioners feel, um, you know, feel like you're acknowledging some why we're being commissioners. So um, thank you for what you're doing. Keep Keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much, Councilmember Sell. Next, we have Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Great presentation and great work. Uh, really appreciate this. I was part of the Unity Map Group, so I know the effort required here. I have uh, three or four questions. In the community partner, which is a very comprehensive list, uh, I could briefly read through the list because it's pretty big. 
I thought uh, it missed senior centers. Uh, senior center uh, was there in oversight or something like that because one of the criteria was age-related uh, mm -hmm. diversity. Mm -hmm. um, so the senior center is a site. Is there a certain body you'd be interested in? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I have seen a couple of Asian seniors meeting there. So that's what I was looking yeah, at. Yeah, I, I am not aware of a particular um, group, but I but in these groups, um, there are certainly folks that are that met that criteria. Okay, got it. And then in the slides, uh, September in the month of September, there was a term uh, G A R E or something like that. Oh, GARE. Sorry, we we apologize for that. That stands for government. Um, Alliance for Race and Equity. Um, GEAR is a nationwide organization that supports local governments that are working on racial equity initiatives. The city joined back, I think, in 2019, and it's been a really great source um, of training and resources for our staff and really helping us guide um, from learning from what other cities are doing. Absolutely. And so they provide a lot of really um, essential foundational training that um, many of our seed team members have participated in. Um, and even, you know, you know, Kent and I participated in the training. It's, it's something that we would really encourage our commissioners to participate in. That's very impressive. That was my next question. As uh, anything bootstrapping, the starting from the scratch is the toughest one. Thanks a lot for doing this work plan. This is wonderful. And then now I realize that you are not just reinventing the wheel, but you are starting with somebody's work already. The other thing I had was regarding community events, one of the best part of Sunnyvale is the community events. Ants and Arts and, uh, as you know, Diwali and other Pets Parade, all these things are so good in bringing the community together. I would also encourage, uh, I would suggest this commission take a lead or organizing such events. Absolutely. So we we um, we know that the cultural festival is something that we will certainly get input on from this commission. Um, and if the especially we've been talking to library and recreation as we have the discussions of heritage and uh, heritage months and affinity um, celebrations, that is opportunities for us to really think about how we celebrate diverse communities in the city and how we program events. And so there will certainly be conversations there. Thank you. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking was we had uh, unity meetings post some event, right? We had uh, that, uh, uh, that car accident and all those things. Having a, uh, first of all, this commission will be more proactive. This is very, 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 very good idea. But I was trying to relate this with respect to Sustainability Commission, where I was part of. There, one of the wonderful events was the speaker series that is inviting experts or others to participate. So I would recommend something like that. Yes, and, and you will see a proposal for that in the budget, likely. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and then the last thing is uh, human... <clears throat> human relations is a tough subject. I think you touched upon that. That is, people are hesitant to come forward with some injustice or something like that. 
So some kind of a feedback loop, anonymous feedback or something would be useful, I think. So. So that one is a bit tricky because uh, I think that the council was pretty clear that they did not necessarily want this commission to be the uh, body that um, that receives complaints. We have other mechanisms for people to um, to submit complaints if they feel like there has been an injustice done to them. For example. Um, there is, uh, you know, a, a process with DPS where people can submit a complaint and that will be taken care of and investigated. Um, and people can always come to council if they have an issue and they can also um, connect and, and email the city manager. So um, I think it was pretty clear to, from the staff perspective, that that's not something that you wanted the commission to do of course the council has changed um, but that was pretty clear from the council that adopted this that that was not um, what you wanted this commission to do but rather be a commission that really supports um, more of that proactive creating a sense of belonging addressing some difficult issues not necessarily particular complaints um, certainly the commission could refer people if, if if somebody was to come to the commission, okay. staff would, would certainly do that. Okay, got it. Thanks a lot. Welcome aboard and then great work. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Councilmember Srinivasan. Next, we have um, Mayor Klein. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, and welcome aboard. Uh, definitely, I look forward to see what the Human Relations Commission uh, ultimately becomes. Uh, let me go through a few comments overall. Uh, first, uh, looking at partners, so I'll second what uh, Councilmember Cisneros said about faith partners. I have lots of contacts into the faith community, and so I'll be forwarding all those to you. We have a wide variety um, of faiths here in Sunnyvale, and I think uh, trying to do outreach and getting getting input and just having them kind of part of the list of uh, these partners understand as we're doing outgo uh, ongoing operations of this commission it's not just the it's not just the uh, finding applicants for this commission but at the end of the day it's making sure that same wide variety knows what topics this commission's undertaking so uh, from that standpoint I, I like that I'm hoping that you know we have the unity event scheduled for March uh, we'll be doing outreach at that event it's specifically so you're already on top of that? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. So, um, and if the other council members don't know, we we have a series of um, unity events that are happening. We're partnering with Fremont Union High School District, Sunnyvale School District, Supervisor Lee's office, and Assemblymember Lowe's office. And the first event is going to be March 16th at Lakewood Elementary School. Um, it's going to be an inter-ethnic panel. We're titling it Overcoming Bigotry. Um, and it's going to be facilitated by ING in Islamic Networks Group, which helped us with um, the first unity event that we had after um, the large hate incident. Um, and it, it should be a good conversation starter. Um, it'll be a panel, but it'll also have an opportunity for discussion amongst participants. And then we're going to follow up that with two tr community trainings. One is going to be a bystander training which is really helping community members uh, have the tools and the confidence to be able to act if they see 
uh, a hate incidents, if they witness a hate incident. Um, and then the second training is going to be de-escalation training. So that's if you either witness or you're, it, it impacts you. If things start escalating and they're getting to a point where there's lots of tension to be able to, to de-escalate that situation. So um, as part of the work plan, you'll see one of the first things we're going to do is debrief that series of events and really think about what do we do next with our community. And, and I appreciate that. You know, I think thank you for the work that that's already been done for for starting that planning. I do think that having that conversation, which uh, for good or bad, uh, we've had to have yearly. I think you know, but but looking at de-escalation, looking at bystander training, uh, you know, I went through some of that program, some of the so those classes uh, over the last few years, and and it's very worthwhile. And and thanks for for creating that in the community. I, th I think you know, um, it's an important important educational process for for residents to make sure that they know what to do and and how to act in certain situations uh, I will um, beyond the be in looking at partners um, and opportunities coming up uh, so the multicultural event is after if I look at the timeline is after we've already finalized this is that true Yes, yeah, so it will likely be in May, um, along with Hands on the Arts. So it'll be similar to last year where we um, really paired those two events. So that will have completed before this commission begins. But, you know, for the following year, it is an opportunity with lots of lead time to, to um, you know, give input. Thank you. And, and I'll just mention a little bit, um, you know, we already gave direction as far as the size of this commission. Um, I do think that, you know, after the first year we evaluate how it's going, what the right size is and looking at that. Um, I like what Commissioner or uh, Council Member Cisneros said about uh, having a youth commissioner as part of this. I don't think restricting that because conceivably if we don't get the applications, I do think it's incumbent upon council to look at variety of ages and, and exactly what what uh, the qualifications, looking at race, ethnicity, income, age, you know, housing status, all those are are critical when we're evaluating what we who we think are are good commissioners. Uh, if we reserve a spot and we don't get an application or we find that a specific commissioner um, joins and then can't make it because we've seen I, I have seen um, we've seen some issues in the path with with some of our youth uh, youth commissions of getting let's say um, sustained commitment and so for me you know I, I, I definitely you know will take that in consideration if we have multiple youths I would be you know that are interested I'd be happy to place more than one of them on on this commission but uh, dedicating at this point one one position uh, for youth, uh, conceivably, the same. If, if we're going to do that, then we also, you know, do one dedicated for senior. And I, I would like, at least for now, to have that flexibility. I do think that it's important for us to evaluate the the large group, hopefully, of applicants that we'll be having for this commission uh, in a wider stance, and then you know, pick pick the best ones to try to get the most, you know, diverse diversity as far as this commission is concerned. Um, let's see, we talked about that, we talked about that. That was all my questions, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mayor Klein. Next we have Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice Mayor. Uh, 
Jackie, Fernanda, good to see you again. Um, so a few things that I've got here. Um, you know, I think that one sort of uh, opportunity to, uh, you know, I think it is important that we actively recruit at the local high schools. I think the mayor's point about maybe a dedicated youth slot right now, I think that's a fair point. I'd like to reevaluate that along with the commission size next year. Um, but I would like to see active recruitment efforts at Fremont and Homestead High School for this. Um, and I'm sure we can collaborate with the school district um, and, you know, talk to the local, you know, the student newspapers, et cetera. Um, one thing I did notice, it says last month for study issues to submit study issues is November. I'm pretty sure that's October, um, but we should, we might want to double check. I will double check that. Yeah. It, maybe the calendar shifted this year. Um, the... One thing that I would like us to discuss whether we would be comfortable considering adding, and I recognize that this is an extremely packed work plan already, is the possibility of some sort of town hall or listening session about equity issues in North Sunnyvale in particular. Um, I have heard a lot about that from some of my constituents, uh, concerns about traffic safety, concerns about access to grocery stores and other retail services. Um, and concerns about transportation equity, especially as it relates to uh, transportation to Fremont High School. Um, and I would be extreme, I'm interested in having such a town hall in North Sunnyvale, and I would be interested in having the Commission's uh, Human Relations Commission involved with that. And uh, staff, perhaps, uh, you, do you have thoughts on whether that could be achieved or how that might work? Yeah, um, it really depends on what you're looking for because we can always hold um, a listening type session to just hear what community members have to say, but the real question is, um, then what do you do? Because you're setting up an expectation from the community that you're going to act on something like this. Um, the other thing is, you know, we want to, I think we want to think these things through and, and really, um, you know, Fernanda and I, and you might want to jump in, um, started talking about, well, well, what could this look like um, you know, if we have some sort of town hall, would it, would council, who would be involved? Would council want to respond? That can kind of get a little tricky. So we would need some preparation and some parameters, but Fernanda has probably a bit more experience that can share. Yeah. Thank you, Jackie. Yes. Um, I am very uh, agreeable to having the community come and talk to us and share, you know, perhaps what are the things that we could do better. But at the same time, I've been in situations where when we open those channels of communication and there is an expectation that something is going to happen and that doesn't happen, usually what happens is that people in the community lose faith in the process. So I think that it's important to um, have the expectations really clear and really define of what, what this listening session is going to look like and the fact that the commissioners are going to be there as perhaps, uh, yeah, note takers, listening, um, members of the community that could eventually 
advocate in some level, but at the same time, I will, I will caution on that um, on that matter, just because we want this commission to be a commission that is trusted in the community. So if we place that responsibility in the members of the commission, and something doesn't happen, that um, perhaps some sort of um, transportation solution happened for North Sunnyvale and that doesn't occur within a f time frame, people perhaps will lose faith in that commission as, as well. So I was just sharing that with Jackie when she mentioned that possibility. Just another thing, I know that there was a desire from the subcommittee to really come up with a report about what are the inequities. And so I could see if we're pretty clear about what we're trying to do, and what we're trying to do is find out what the inequities are so we can have this like gap analysis, I'm sure we could fit in a town hall type session into that work um, in order to get that um, report to council. So that's something I'd be very interested in. And my interest here is fundamentally about hearing from the community, information gathering. This would be a listening session, not a session where council or the commissioners would be responding to the community. Um, and yes, you would, you know, you're absolutely right. Whenever you're seeking public input on something about of this nature, you have to be very clear with your expectation setting with the members of the public that, you know, this is moving at the speed of government. Government does not always move quickly. Uh, and there are very good reasons why it doesn't. Um, but I also think that, you know, it is, it is necessary to go and ask. It is necessary to go, you know, and gather the information um, and and to let people know that they've been heard, right? Um, so I would be very interested. And I think that the suggestion of possibly having it integrated as part of the work plan for this report as a, as a component of this report makes a lot of sense. And that also helps with what you raised about what are the expectations of this. The expectations of this is this will feed into the report that's being prepared for council. And I believe that does it for me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Councilmember Mellinger. Next, we have Councilmember Melton. Yes, thank you. Um, Jackie and Fernanda, you two are doing a great job. Uh, all of my, all the council members up here are saying it, and I want to say it too. This is really important work um, that you're tackling for the city of Sunnyvale, and we're going to end up a better community because of it. So more power to you. Keep up the great work. Um, uh, I'm really, really glad that this came back to the full council. Um, it's an important topic. I think it deserves to hear all the best intellectual property of all seven council members. Um, I'm going to repeat something that I got a chuckle out of when council member Mellinger brought it up at the subcommittee meeting, which is that by virtue of circumstances, nobody planned this this way, but the subcommittee is constituted of the three white guys from Sunnyvale City Council. So that's part of the logic, Richard, and I'm glad you brought that up, um, you know, that we needed to bring this back to the full council. I also had questions about Sturgis and, you know, what is the you know, role of a, of a subcommittee, but suffice it to say, I'm, I'm glad that it came back here. I have um, 
two broad points that I want to get to in a second, but a couple of smaller things. First, um, I think this is going to be a very, very hard working subcommittee and we, uh, a commission, I'm sorry, but um, we talked about it at the subcommittee. Um, that's going to have to be one of the questions or clearly identified on a questionnaire is that if, if you want to be on this important committee, you really need to be here to work. Um, so however that's phrased elegantly, um, that's a point I think we need to impart to potential applicants to serve on the commission. Um, uh, my recollection is that when we created the commission, council actually had it hardwired into the language, the enabling language of the commission, um, that it's not here to tackle grievances and complaints from residents. And that's, that's really important to me, not only because we have other channels already established, internal affairs at DPS, the city manager, the city council, uh, but the way I think about it is I really want this commission looking forward, right? So that's why I felt it was important to hardwire that into the enabling language. Um, I want to talk about high schools for a second, and I'll just offer a, a reminder to the room. We have two school districts serving uh, residents of the city of Sunnyvale. In my district, District 4, uh, virtually all of the high school kids are in Santa Clara Unified and go to Wilcox High School. I'll just ask folks to keep that in mind whenever we're talking about Fremont and Homestead. Let's give a shout out to the Wilcox Chargers as well. And in Council Member Dean's district, District 6, Northeast Sunnyvale has that whole island of Santa Clara Unified. And that's, I'm told, open enrollment. So they can go to Santa Clara High School, they can go to Wilcox High School, and now they have the new McDonald High School in Santa Clara Unified School District. So I just ask my colleagues to, you know, think about um, all of that whenever we're talking about high schools. It's totally awesome. Um, I think the two major outcomes, um, Jackie and Fernanda, from this, number one, um, I'm really looking forward to the difficult conversations. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, and I think that'll be a, a major beneficial outcome. The other major outcome I'm looking for is what I refer to as the blind spot identification, EAI blind spot identification. I forget how you worded it in your foils, but we're talking about the same thing. What I would prefer is uh, that the commission start with a blank slate no presuppositions from city council about here's where we think EAI issues exist in Sunnyvale or here's where we think the blind spots are. I would like the commission to go off on their own voyage using a consultant if necessary, applying their own intellectual property, having their own difficult conversations and then coming back with a report to council here's where the gaps are, Council, and you need to deal with these, and here's how we recommend that you deal with it. I would guess, Jackie, that's probably a two-year voyage. And to my esteemed colleague, Councilmember Mellinger, I bet that one of the ultra-critical stops on that voyage is North Sunnyvale. But I don't want to say that on the record, and I don't want to put that on a piece of paper, because I want this commission to do their own voyage of their own intellectual property. Um, and I think I heard you say, Jackie, um, that somebody's gonna need some more money if that's what the true outcome of the commission's work plan is. Um, so I would say um, 
to the city manager, however you want to dial that up. It seems to me you would put that in a budget supplement too and put some dollar number next to it, like $200,000, and let council decide that as part of a budget supplement too, as part of that process. But that's up to the city manager how he constructs the recommended budget. But um, I'm all for it, and I would ask my colleagues, if you're for it as well, um, be sure to turn on your microphone and tell staff to add that um, dollar and expect that outcome from the commission. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Melton. Uh, and I'll just jump in with a few of my own questions as well. Uh, thank you so much to staff for the presentation uh, and for all the work that went into this. And also my appreciation to the subcommittee uh, on doing this. And as I think Councilmember Melton so rightly put, uh, the importance of bringing it to the whole council. I really appreciate the work that you all are doing. My first question is, uh, in terms of the recruitment process, are the terms staggered? And if so, how does initial recruitment work? Yes, that's a great question. We did go over that, um, I think, when we, we adopted the commission. So we are going to have to stagger the terms. And it will be council that has to determine. Um, you'll have a slate of applicants, and you will have to slot them in. Do you want to give them a four-year term? Do you want to give them a three-year term, a two-year term, or a one-year term? And that's just the first um, term. Then their second term will be the, f the full four-year term. Okay, I appreciate uh, your reminding us of that, and <laughs> you're right, it'll be interesting for us. Uh, is it possible for that to also be included on the application process where uh, we can also poll the applicants as if they have very strong preferences uh, to any of those specific terms, or do you think maybe it's better to just leave that unsaid and all in the hands of council? I think we can advise as we're going out and recruiting that that's going to be the situation so they're not blindsided. But um, we're pretty, our, our council application is, is um, you know, it's, a, it's already a set application for all of our commissions. So we can add maybe two questions. Um, it's usually, I think, one or two questions that we can add for a specific commission. And so we want those questions to be really substantive questions that relate to the core of the work. But council is going to interview these candidates and um, I think that would be a great question to ask in the interview. That's a great point actually and I really appreciate what you're saying about how long the application is. I think you're completely right that it's good to be mindful of it. Um, and then just going a little bit into the work plan itself, I read through it and um, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Something that stuck out to me is it seems like the month of September especially has a lot in it. Um, I'm I hope I'm correct in assuming that it's meeting one, this commission would meet once a month. Uh, was Is there concern that maybe September might have a little too much in it? Um, and is there something we can do about that if we get into it and it seems like, yeah, this it, they're going to have things rolling over? And what would, what would happen if it turns out that it is too long? Can it go into future months? or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all recognize that it's a it's kind of an ambitious work plan. Um, but uh, yes, I think in every commission, if you don't get to the business, then then you defer the item to the next council, I mean, the next commission meeting. Okay, I appreciate hearing that. And I guess just in terms of feedback from my end, that would be one thing as this comes back to us for that final approval. Uh, that's just one thing that's on my mind, a little bit of concern around September specifically. Uh, and then just in general thoughts, I do want to point out I'm very pleased to hear that Islamic Networks Group and ING is going to be involved with that Unity event. Uh, they've 
done fantastic work. I've been very familiar with their work throughout the Muslim community for years. Uh, so I think the city did a very good job, and I'm biased, I guess, by being a part of the city to say it. But this, I think the city did a good job in choosing them uh, and working with them. I also wanted to um, say that uh, I agree with the mayor, and I think I agree with Councilmember Cisneros on the uh, point that we should try and ensure uh, we get youth representation on the commission. Uh, but I do agree that I don't think it should be uh, one seat specifically set aside only for that, uh, for the reasons that I think the mayor and uh, I think even Councilmember Mellinger touched on as well. Uh, I also uh, want to say that I, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, we should ensure there is at least some session in North Sunnyvale uh, when that information gathering is occurring. Uh, I really appreciate the comments that I heard tonight from staff about not wanting to set up false expectations in the minds of the community members. I think that's completely right. That should be the framework we approach it with. Um, but as we go out and we say, hey, we're trying to figure out where are the gaps across the city, making sure we're hitting North Sunnyvale and that that is something that is specified, that's really important to me. And I think I agree entirely with what Councilmember Mellinger was saying on that. Uh, I was also really glad to see mobile homes included as one, or the mobile home community as one thing that was included in what we're looking for uh, on this commission in terms of representation. I think that's a huge community that has been, as we've seen, rife with uh, inequities and in how they've been treated. So uh, making sure their voices are heard is really important to me. Uh, and that also serves in really helping us get that North Sunnyvale voice. Um, but I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, what I see as um, important outcomes from this commission uh, for ensuring equity and quality of life in North Sunnyvale. Um, and the final thing, actually, those were all my points. Thank you. And next, we will go to uh, Mayor Klein. Thank you. I'll, I'll be very quick. You know, you talked about the application, and one of the things that council is looking for as you said, is applicants that reflect the city's demographics for race, ethnicity, household income, age, housing status, uh, districts. Is that part of the application? So normally it's not a part of our standard application. It is, it is not start of a part of our standard application. It should be a conversation because if we don't ask those questions of our commissioners, then we can't evaluate how well we're doing in making sure our commission is reflective of our community. Uh, understood. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it to staff, but, but one of the issues is if you look at the time that council has to conceivably interview each applicant, whether or not um, having this information as part of the packet would actually be more useful than wasting 15, 20, a portion of our, of let's say critical time mm -hmm. asking these sorts of questions. So what what's the plan or is it? Yeah, I mean, um, I think we'll, we'll certainly look at that. Okay. Um, it's, it's uh, we included, a, I believe we included a demographic questionnaire when we recruited for the redistricting commission. Right. And so we could use something very similar. Okay, and, and that, I appreciate that, you know, it's, for, for me, you know, as we're going through the quick uh, quick interview process, we kind of focus on a topic or or some portion of their of let's say their answers to some of the questions that we have in front of us. That being said, we don't focus deep on to conceivably what their background is and in which in which of the many kind of areas that we're looking for from a, from a diversity standpoint, we're trying to get as part of that commission. And you know, conceivably, it's it's also 
the legality of asking conceivably some of these questions also. So yes, I'll, I'll I think I believe we can ask, but it has to be optional. Yes, and that was and that was kind of where I was leaning: is can we actually have optional questions to help uh, to help counsel kind of figure out what diversity we would like to see when we're looking at all this? But I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mayor Klein. Next, we have Councilmember Sell. Yeah, I just had a quick comment. I noticed that when we did our redistricting commission, we did have a council subcommittee that um, went into detail about helping to select um, the people that ultimately served on the redistricting advisory body. And I was just wondering, in this case, since it's such an elaborate, like, age and ethnicity and district, um, it would be maybe kind of hard for the full council to, like, examine that with staff. But maybe a subcommittee of the council could do like you did on uh, staff, worked with the subcommittee to um, come up with that uh, recruitment process. So, um so what we actually did um, is we had a subcommittee when we did our initial districting process for the community advisory committee. So it was not a commission, it was a committee, and that's when we had a subcommittee of the council do that um, evaluation and recommendation to the full council. I believe for the redistricting commission it was the full council that did those interviews. Okay, but, thank you. But the council can determine how you want to do your selection. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. Uh, I will now go ahead and oh, sorry. I will now go ahead and open the public comment on this specific item. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk or use the raise hand button now or dial star nine on a telephone to indicate you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the City Council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. For members in person, we have a timer with lights. Uh, green means go, yellow means 30 seconds remain, and red means stop. Uh, I have no speaker cards, so... Oh, uh, probably for later for other items. Okay. Uh, I have no speaker cards, so uh, City Clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak? Uh, yes, we have individ one individual. Uh, we have Jonathan. Unfortunately, your last name is cut off. Um, you have three minutes to address the City Council on the Human Relations Commission. Uh, we have an individual who joined with the name NorCal Carpenters. Jonathan, yes, you've been unmuted and you have yes, three I minutes. Yes, I think we're in the wrong item. Sorry. We're trying to do public speaking on the uh, public uh, item. Okay, so uh, at this time, uh, Council's just hearing public comment on the Human Relations Commission, so please raise your hand again when we get to public comment on that specific item. Okay. Thank you. And Vice Mayor, that was the only raised hand. Thank you. Uh, I will go ahead and close the public comment. Uh, are there any final questions or comments from my colleagues? Okay, thank you very much. Oh. Yeah, please. Uh, I'll just call on you. Council uh, Member Cisneros. Sure, thank you. I do have a couple um, of additional comments and just one question. Um, my question is, um, is it typical to just have two weeks to apply to a commission? Because typically they're rolling and so we have a longer amount of time. It seems short for me, but I don't, I don't know. Is that typical? It's actually a seven-week um, oh, application Oh, I must have misread the thing. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you so much. Um, 
Yeah, I was looking at, I looked at the wrong month, so thank you. Yeah. But um, it can be rolling if somebody does, um, you know, resign from the commission. We have an opening, then it becomes rolling. Okay, okay. I just, I just misread the thing, yes. Okay, and I just wanted to answer a couple of questions that were posed to council. Um, yes, I would like a report to council um, based on the equity needs of the city, and I think that it would be really important to have a... Um, a, com a consultant work with them so that it's a lot of work and to make sure that they're giving council um, actionable concrete clear direction unless you get someone who's like a research consultant who does this all the time and makes presentations to council it would be hard um, to probably get that all uh, everything in so um, would love to see that uh, we don't want it to be a waste of their time or ours um, and it would be a worthy use of resources um, and I know that they have a lot to do uh, and so I hate to suggest something else, I really do. But I would love their input on our charter council policy and in the municipal code uh, to point out anything that um, we may have, we have missed or um, needs updating uh, as of now, just, just to see where are the rules of this city and how are they addressing equity? How can we make them more accessible? How can we make, uh, make policy and make law that's uh, f more fair to everybody. Um, maybe there'd be nothing, maybe there'd be a lot of things, but I think that would be a valuable thing for me as a council member to, to get from somebody who could comb through it um, and give advice. So uh, I really took um, Council Member Mellinger's uh, idea of listening sessions to heart. I think that's a really interesting one, but I think that could we could also achieve that goal through a survey um, for different areas of the city based on what, do we, uh, what are the big topic issues that um, they're thinking about in order to help the commission understand that the lay of the land and also to help us understand and that's a pretty big undertaking and they have a lot to do this year so perhaps for future years um, getting that bird's eye view through a survey of some kind um, and then uh, if commissions commission meetings go long because of how much work they can do I'd like to say like I would write a note for any student um, <laughs> who has to stay up and, and you know misses some homework I think that would be a worthy use um, and then it is important to me that we set up a study session a year from July to assess the progress of the commission and rethink, do we need the seven members? Do we need to hold a, a slot for anybody? Are we uh, lagging in recruitment of any specific group? Just so council can think about how do we shift this a year out? Um, so a study session sometime in July or August uh, would be great. And. I agree that this, is, that this commission is not a place for complaints to be heard or adjudicated, but I would welcome input from our commissioners uh, in this commission directly, to us directly, so that we can, they'll know, they'll be getting feedback from the community, so passing that on to us, so they won't be hearing it in the commission, but any information that they want to pass on to council, I want to just say, um, I would welcome it and really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think that's it. That's all I had. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll go ahead and move to adjournment. This meeting is adjourned at 7.03 p.m. Good evening. Let's call to order the council meeting of February 14th, 2023. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for tonight's meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature, and speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for each vote. 
This City Council meeting is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by Government Code Subdivision 54953E and Resolution Number 1089-21, reaffirmed by Sunnyvale City Council on February 7, 2023. Council members have the option of participating remotely or in person. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the City Clerk in person or use the raised hand feature request to speak, star 9, in your telephone. Location and teleconference meeting details are available on the Council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on that agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes, and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the City's website and on the Council meeting agenda. First up is our salute to the flag. Please join me in a salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Seven present. Thank you very much. Uh, next is oral communications. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address council on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the general business section of the agenda. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum of up to three minutes per speaker. A reminder to the public, if in person, please submit a speaker card now uh, to the city clerk or if remote, raise your digital hand or dial star nine in your telephone. Um, I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will allow uh, remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. For members in person, we have a countdown timer with lights, green meaning go, yellow meaning 30 seconds remaining, and red meaning stop. Um, I have several speaker cards. First up is Peggy Brewster, followed by Angeline Hansen. Dixon. Hello, my name is Peggy Brewster. I'm with Sunnyvale for Equity in Education. I'm here to, um, in support of D DPW 23-06. We're clear about this issue. Since the wrongful closing of our neighborhood school, 42 years ago, families and students in North Sunnyvale have had to juggle transportation to and from Fremont High for their kids as part of their daily lives. Parents adjust their schedules or don't work in order to accommodate their kids' need to be driven to and from school. A teacher at Lakewood just told us today that they often have to pay $25 to Uber their kid to get to Fremont on time. Many, many families don't have the luxury to shuttle back and forth. On BTA, students report constant worry about unreliable transportation and tardiness. Parents and students don't feel safe riding BTA with, with the general public, especially when it is dark. 
The current situation has impacted the daily lives of families in North Sunnyvale for decades now. FUHSD isn't providing the transportation they recognize the need for when they close SHS. It's a moral obligation for the city and you as our designees to take the lead. I urge you to prioritize DPW 23-06. You may have heard that, we've, that we've, we are circulating a petition in support of the study issue. If you read the, the petition, you'll see that we're actually asking for a larger scope of public outreach. If those words or any proposed change of scope give you pause about supporting the study issue as is, I ask you to put those concerns aside and prove it as written. The language as written is sufficient to include public outreach and initiate conversations with FUHSD about their responsibility in implementing the shuttles and other ways of mitigating transportation stresses for Fremont families. FUHSD has also verbally expressed support of this study issue, recognizing this need that they've been able to ignore for decades now. While I'm confident about C's traction and the support of Sunnyvale residents, we alone may not be able to achieve reasonable change. Now, if City Council were to stake a claim in this transportation situation, a small part of the more systemic issues of inequity, and deem it a priority, it would compel collaborative action with the district. By taking the lead to serve the underserved residents of North Sunnyvale, our city can work with FUHSD and we the public to make some progress towards equitable transportation for our students. I'm concerned about this back and forth of passing the buck with no actual entity taking the lead and we residents continuing to be frustrated with the bureaucracy of, of it all. If in fact, we can all take responsibility. We can make a difference in the lives of hardworking families in North Sunnyvale right away. Please support DPW 23-06 on Thursday. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Angela Hickson, followed by Charlene Liu. Masks and glasses down next. Hi, um, I'm here to discuss the city staff's recommendation to defer DPW 2306. Uh, the staff's suggestion that the Peary Park shuttle service is a good baseline to determine effectiveness of a broader initiative is deeply misguided. The Peary Park project is designed to help small groups of adults get to work. And I support this fully. I fully support reducing congestion. But this is fundamentally different from helping large groups of minors get to school. Furthermore, the boundaries of the Perry Park project are very different from the types of things we're talking about for helping Sunnyvale kids. With the eastern edge of the Perry Park project being on Fair Oaks, all the townhouses, the ball homes like mine, uh, the orchard, and uh, the apartment complex there, those kids get buses to Ellis and to Sunnyvale Middle. They wouldn't be affected by the Perry Park uh, area. Then, of course, there's the San Miguel neighborhood is also not included in the Perry Park project. And, of course, Lakewood and Fairwood and Morse Park are not included in the Perry Park project. So it's not representative of the types of neighborhoods that we're asking you to serve. And, therefore, it is not a, a good representation of what a larger program would look like. The city staff also suggests that DPW 2207 could be picked up and could be a solution. But again, we're talking about the difference between taking a few people who are adults to work versus taking large groups of minors to school. These are fundamentally different things. 
And I want to take this moment to remind you that the absentee rate, the chronic absentee rate, not occasional, the chronic absentee rate at Fremont is 19.4, which is more than twice that of Homestead and almost three times that of Cupertino and Lindbrook. This problem is serious and it is urgent. If we cannot get kids to school, we cannot give them the help they need. Now, we at C understand the desire to say that this is the Fremont Union High School District's problem, and we agree, and we have people speaking to them at this moment. We have engaged with them and will continue to engage with them multiple times. But, and it's true, they created the problem and they have to do something, but we, the people of Sunnyvale, and our representatives have also done nothing to stop them from ignoring our kids. And we've let them get away with it for 40 years. We are all complicit in this problem. And now the problem is so big that no one institution is going to solve it. We all have to work together to help our kids. And so we hope that you will join us and support DPW 2306. Thank you. Thank you. And my last speaker card is Charlene Liu. Thank you, Mayor Klein, council members. My name is Charlene Liu, and I'm representing Bike Sunnyvale. I would like to remind you of our top two 2023 study, pri study issue priorities. The first one is DPW 2101 on the Hollenbeck bike lanes, as it was last year. And I would like to mention also BPAC ranked these, this number one last year and this year as well. I've already spoken about the importance of these bike lanes, and tonight I would like to rebut what some have given as a reason for not installing these bike lanes, which is that it's not in the ATPs, and we have to finish the ATP before we can work on anything new. But that is an unreasonable limitation because the ATP is severely delayed. It could take possibly 20 years to finish it, and are we to do no new bike projects in those 20 years, that would be not a good way to go forth. Furthermore, Mr. Ng has said that in public and private meetings that the Transportation Division does work on non-ATP bike ped projects whenever they work on another project nearby. So there's already a precedent. It's okay to work on Hollenbeck bike lanes. That's not in the ATP. Bike Sunnyvale's number two priority is DPW 2308, the bike ped metrics. Last week I already spoke on the importance of metrics and tonight I would like to address staff's reasons for recommending that this issue be dropped. Staff says metrics like KSI and student travel tallies are already tracked so we don't need to st the study issue. However, these metrics are insufficient. KSI by itself is inconclu inconclusive if we don't know what the bike rate is, and student travel tallies are meaningless if they're reported as a snapshot in time with no history of how they're progressing. Staff says that they are already reporting metrics and progress to BPAC, so no further action is needed. However, the existing, re the existing reporting leaves much to be desired. I spent some time clicking through several years of BPAC meeting archives to try to piece together a graph of certain metrics I was interested in. After 30 minutes, I was unsuccessful. I found one sample in 2022 of the bike rate at various schools, but nothing earlier. Could it be that no student travel tallies were done prior to 2022? I found one presentation with a KSI graph in 2021, but not in any other year. 
I found one presentation in 2022 on ATP progress, but it listed only the projects that were currently being done, and, and we don't know how much more is left to do, so we don't know how, how far it's progressed. We should not spend hours searching through meeting archives only to find insufficient data. Current metrics don't meet, the information needs to be consistent, repeated, well-organized, and readily available on the city website. Current metrics don't meet those criteria. As part of the study issue, we would like council to form a bike ped metrics task force comprised Thanks. of most importantly community, community members and council members. Thank you. Thank you. That was my last speaker card. See no one else who wishes to speak. City Clerk, do we have any remote participants who want to speak? Uh, yes, Mayor. First up is Stephen Meyer, followed by Jonathan. Stephen, you've been unmuted, and you have three minutes to address the City Council. Hello, good evening, Mayor and City Council. Thank you for your attention tonight. I see there's been a lot of good discussion regarding high schools. I am an active volunteer with the Fremont High School track and field, and they are hosting a relay, the Firebird Relays, on March 25th. It's a great event. There's high schools from all over the Bay Area that come in and attend, and uh, because it's relay format, a lot of kids get to uh, earn medals, and there's just a lot of joy, and um, it's a great event in Sunnyvale, so I hope you all turn out. Uh, speaking of Fremont High School, I would like to again uh, ask for your consideration on the study issue regarding Hollenbeck bike lanes. I bicycle on Hollenbeck. I have no choice. And cars get very close to me, which puts me in danger. But more importantly, it puts Fremont High School students in danger, having cars come close when they're dodging around parked cars. Uh, you may also know that Challenger School is on Fremont and uh, there's a lot of cars that queue, because it's a private school, there's a lot of cars that queue in my neighborhood and along Hollenbeck School. So that creates more congestion and more danger for Fremont High School students. So I really would like to request that as you evaluate study issues, you prioritize safety issues, safety for pedestrians, safety for our children. And because of that, I really would like your support on the Hollenbeck bicycle lane. In general, I support better uh, transportation for the Fremont High School students. Uh, this is a topic I've been concerned about since my daughter went to Fremont, and I saw the lack of equity for the students coming from the north of Sunnyvale. Uh, it was really, you know, quite you know, unfortunate that students could not participate in clubs or other activities. Uh, because, you know, their commute distance was so long. Uh, so I really think there's an equity issue regarding Fremont High School transportation, and I really urge you to um, take up that study issue as well. So thank you for listening tonight. I yield my time. Thank you. Before we go to the next speaker, I see a council member with oh. a hand raised. Sorry. Thank you very much. Oh, my Yes. Am I allowed to ask the speakers any questions? Absolutely. Okay. So um, I had a question for the C representatives. Or is that very... Oh, okay. Okay. Speaker at Fremont Union High School District right now. Okay. I guess um, BTA has probably been driving students for years, mm -hmm. and um, there's 
probably been deficiencies in their service? Like, has it ever improved, or has someone reported the deficiencies over the years, or uh, what? What is up with We're the still gathering data from individual people, but to the best of our understanding, this has been a problem and nobody's known where to go. Like, to this day, we can't even figure out, there's discrepancy as to how kids get a bus pass. We have people from the district saying, everybody who lives north of Evelyn gets a free bus pass, but that hasn't been the case for people who have tried to apply. It's just been a disaster for decades and nobody's been addressing it because it's been a largely underserved population. You have a lot of kids whose parents speak Spanish who don't want to speak up. There's people who are afraid of retaliation from the district, from teachers, etc. And so this has just been an ongoing problem for decades. So does a normal student just need, a normal student, or any student mostly that does not get a free pass, which uh, they need to pay $2.50 for each ride? Right, for each ride. Okay. And um, and do we know what percentage of students get free passes? Uh, I am not aware of that number. Uh, we're still trying to look into that. We're like I said, we're getting the runaround, and and people are not answering us. I can tell you, I live on the south side of Evelyn Street in Mr. Melton's district, and it was unclear to anybody as to whether or not we would qualify for a pass because. I'm on Evelyn, but I'm not technically the north side of Evelyn. It, it's just, it's, I mean, even if you look at the different websites for the schools, the other schools have safe routes to schools, safe route to school websites. Fremont doesn't. Okay. And then does the Fremont Union High School District provide? Anyway, Again, uh, not oh. to, anybody's, to, every, to anybody's knowledge, you at least have to fill out the free and reduced lunch form, mm -hmm. and then we aren't getting clear answers as to everybody. It's definitely not everybody. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you very much for answering the questions. Stay here for just a second. You have a few more questions. And, okay. and just to let people know, we normally don't reopen the in-person after okay. we go to remote, but we'll, we'll make an exception this time. Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you, um, and thank you to Councilman Brissell for bringing up this question, actually, because it spurred my thinking as well. Um, I appreciate your information on it and what you were yeah. just talking about, is why, which is why I'm jumping in. Uh, I'm also, as uh, you may or may not know, was recently uh, appointed to the VTA board, so I'd be okay. really interested uh, in trying to utilize that to get more direct information for where you guys are running that into it. That would be it. fabulous. If I'm able to talk to uh, staff at VTA. What would be the best point of contact on your end? Uh, to Peggy would help be the best. Okay. the best point of contact. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll try and distribute that information if I can get it. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Melton. One moment. Yes, sir. You, you get the trifecta. I'm well, you're my representative, so let's go. Are you in District 4? Yes, or sir. Councilor? Oh, wonderful. Oh, so if if you're in my District 4, yes. so you're, you're... I'm that tiny little sliver of Evelyn of the ball homes. Oh, so you're in Fremont Union High School. Yes, sir. Oh, I, I'm understanding now. Yeah. But... Can we talk about that? Because I haven't formulated all of my thoughts yet for Thursday. I think the okay. staff report for Councilmember Cernavasan's um, study is very well written. It's aligning some of my concerns. But 
you know most of the high school kids in District 4 go to Wilcox yes, High sir. School. And there's this whole island of Santa Clara Unified in Councilmember Dean's district that do not go to Fremont right. or Homestead. They go to either Santa Clara or Wilcox right. or the new McDonald High School. So how should I be thinking about the fact that the study issue doesn't include those kids in well, North High School that are in Santa Clara here's Unified? My, here would be my argument is that when Fremont does well, the city of Sunnyvale does well. If Fremont is struggling, that's bad for Sunnyvale. That's, people don't want to move here. Businesses are less likely to start up here. So if we see that there's an equity and that there are kids who have needs in Fremont and the district is systematically ignoring them, if we ignore it too, then we're complicit in it and it hurts our city. So when, uh, that would be my argument. When Fremont does well, our city does well. I, I agree 100%. By the way, I've got two kids at Fremont High School. And, and I love thought, it. My yeah. son's about to graduate. So I'm, I'm not allowed to really engage in a lengthy um, right. dialogue with you. We, we talk a lot about equity, access, and inclusion right. here in the city of Sunnyvale. The issues at Fremont are real. And are. I just want to let you know, part of the calculus for me on Thursday is why doesn't this study issue also include our kids in District 6 who are cranking it all the way down to Santa Clara or Wilcox High School. I, I just want to let you know. And, that's, and the uh, mayor's, that's, that's fair. The mayor's going to make me turn off my microphone here pretty soon. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank Somebody you. Else. Thank okay. you. <laughs> City Clerk, continue with the remote participants. Yes. Next up is Jonathan Aramaya, followed by Lori Thompson. Jonathan, you've been unmuted, and you have three minutes to address the City Council. Hi, good morning. I mean, good evening. Sorry about that. Good evening, uh, Mayor and Council members. My name is Jonathan Yeremia with the Northern California Carpenters Union. It's great to see upcoming projects in the city of Sunnyvale. At times, we often forget about the workforce behind building these properties, projects, and these communities. I'm here today to speak on the need of area labor standards implement, implemented in the city of Sunnyvale, which includes health care, apprenticeship, and local hire. Having a livable wage is important. It helps our working men and women be able to balance wages, especially with a skyrocketed economy in the last two years. Healthcare should be accessible for all humans. We cannot have our communities not seek medical attention because their employer does not provide healthcare benefits and apprenticeship programs. They're, they're important. Uh, providing a path for minorities, women's and risk youth in the construction industry also gives the working class citizens the skills and craftsmanship to build any project and a shot at the American dream. Hiring locally ensures that our citizens have more time spent with their families and be involved more in the communities instead of our community members spending time on the road trying to meet ends on the road in traffic. Um, today I would like to ask our community and our elected officials what are we doing to ensure we are protecting our local workforce and how we implement our labor standards in the city of Sunnyvale. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next up is Lori Thomas. Lori, you've been unmuted, and you have three minutes to address the City Council. Hi, thank you so much. Um, my name is Lori Thomas, and I'm also part of C. And I don't think I could speak better than Peggy and Angela that were there in person. Um, and I'm not normally somebody that gets involved with um, and I, my civic duties and, and things that I should. I'm just going to share my experience. So. My daughter is in seventh grade at Columbia Middle School, which is in North Sunnyvale. 
and we live close to that school, which is great because she can, like today, I couldn't pick her up. She could walk home. It was so nice to have a that have that ability where she's the freedom to like walk to school and come home, whether she's biking, and I feel feel good about it. Uh, about a year ago, um, she's on she's um, she joined a team, and I was in the you know watching her do her sport, and I heard um, so right so it's softball, <laughs> so I was listening to. And eighth grade, I guess, a eighth grade parent um, at that time talked to some other parents about how are they going to get their kids to school. So Columbia Middle School, in the case you don't know, has San Miguel, Bishop, Lakewood, and Fairwood. And, I, and I'm listening, and I'm not really paying attention, but then I catch my eye. Well, they'll probably take the bus. I don't know. I'm not sure we can take the bus from where we are So because it's two bus routes. And then I'm starting listening more. And I'm just, I don't know. I need to go back to the parents and probably have them as you know, we have a, a survey that's out and uh, do this survey. And then I'm, my eyes opened and I started listening more and I started talking to other people. Like, and then and then C formatted, formatted and then I could see the visual of where Fremont High School is on the other side of El Camino. And Sunnyville High School, because I didn't grow up here, is where my kid would have gone if we hadn't, I mean, it's not us, would have gone if it hadn't been closed down four years ago. And she could have walked or biked there. But now we're thinking of her getting all the way over there. But then I'm thinking about the kids that live twice as far away as her over at Fair Oaks and Lakewood. And I'm taking two buses. And my, my son goes to where my daughter did and started with the homeless of San Miguel over at San Miguel. And I drive and I drop him off. And I drive back. And there's that bus that brings him up past Dwayne to Fair, Fair, uh, Fair Oaks. And they get off and they all come over the street and they wait. And I see BTA buses. And that's just me driving by. And they go buy them. So I really, really hope that just in our, our hearts that we're not bystanders looking at this is over in Sunnyville, this is happening there, but we can be upstanders, as they say with Project Cornerstone, that we can get involved and we can support these minors that are 14, 15 years old, 16, and they're trying to get to school from far away. That's, that's my, I don't, I, I don't have all the numbers. Um, I know they're out there, but thank you for my time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Mayor, that was the final public speaker, but there is a council member who raised their hand. Thank you. Sorry, I missed it. Uh, council member Sell? I have a question for the last speaker, the parent. Yes. So, um, you're, are you currently in middle school? Your kids are in middle school? Uh, my oldest is in middle school, yes. Okay. I'm sorry, and am I still on? Can, okay, you can hear me. Yeah, and what, per, I mean, how uh, are the parents that kids go to middle school, are they mostly stay-at-home parents where one parent can drive the child? Are they mostly double-income parents where they both need to go to work? Yes, uh, they're double-income parents. I mean, I've, I've been with, from San Miguel, since my daughter started there. Um, she, she was at Bishop, because we're near Bishop, and then we put her into Juntos over at San Miguel. And some of the kids, the parents, didn't decide on Denali, which is now closing, because because they they like the school, but also because they both work, they're both out of the home, their kid can walk to that school or bike to that school. It's close by. And so I, I you know. And I, I'm I'm upper middle class. Like I I I have I step on both sides, right? So I can talk to different people. But the, the, yes, they're a dual income, but they're also parents that choose to send their kids to King's Academy or other private schools. 
um, because they, they they choose for different reasons. But yeah, there are dual income parents that they can't you know take the time out to drive. And I I feel bad. I feel horrible as a person and as a parent that I wasn't more involved in that discussion about. No. Okay, one other question. Um, so your child going to high school next year, and um, how do you envision that child getting to school? So um, she's actually in 7th grade. She'll be in 8th grade next year. And um, I, I honestly, I envisioned probably the bus. I think my daughter could take the bus. Um, she's right here, so I'm going to say it anyway. But, you know, they she does sports. They stay late. She'll get on the bus and she'll come home, and I'm sure I'll be fine. It'll probably be one stop. But my husband and I can work it out. Like, we're able to do that. But I'm thinking about her friends and her peers and her classmates that are way further away. So I'm, I'm just thinking, as a parent that lives in Lakewood or Fair Oaks, not just myself, but if I was that parent, that's a lot further to go. And Okay. My last question yeah. is... Um, uh, socioeconomically, are um, some parents have is uh, are finances tight for many of your uh, child's parents' families? Are yes, yeah, okay, yes, I would say so. Okay, yes. okay, thank yes. you very much. Yes. That's all my questions. Thank you, thank you. And Mayor, that was the final uh, public speaker on this agenda item. Thank you. I'll go ahead and close oral communications and move on to our consent calendar. Uh, I'll open the, the public comment on consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk or use the raised hand feature or style star nine in your telephone to indicate that they wish to speak. Uh, I'll call on members of the public participating in person first. Then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. For members in person, uh, we have the countdown timer and our lights. Um, I have no speaker cards on a consent calendar item. City Clerk, do we have any members of the public wishing to speak on a consent calendar item remotely? Uh, no, Mayor. Okay. Um, is there a motion? Uh, Vice Mayor Dean? Thank you. I move the consent calendar. Thank you. Councilmember Melton? Second. Thank you. And before we take the vote, uh, I just want to have an announcement that due to a conflict of interest, on owning real property near El Camino Real specific plan area, uh, I am re registering a no vote on agenda item 1J. Sorry. Uh, point of parliamentary inquiry, I think it might actually be a recusal. Yes. Yes, it needs to be a, re it needs to be a recusal. Sorry. Thank you. That's what I get for just reading what I'm, <laughs> what's in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With that, City Clerk, please conduct a roll call vote. First up, Councilmember Srinivasan. Yes. Mayor Klein. Yes, except for 1J, recusing. Councilmember Cisneros. Yes. Councilmember Melton. Yes. Vice Mayor Dean. Yes. Councilmember Sell. Yes. Councilmember Mellinger. Yes. The motion carries 7-0 with Mayor Klein recused on item 1J. Thank you. We'll move on to general business. Our first item is item 23-0330, 
proposed project adopt a resolution for a specific plan amendment to modify block 20 of the downtown specific plan to allow additional residential units and office square footage and associated modifications to design guidelines and development standards. Um, I have an announcement to make regarding this also. Uh, due to a conflict of interest of owning real property in the downtown specific plan area, I will need to recuse myself from this public hearing item. Uh, Vice Mayor Dean will be taking over as chair to run this hearing item, and at its conclusion, I will return as chair for the to run the remainder of the meeting. Thank you, and I'll be leaving the council chambers. Thank you, Mayor, and I'll just give it a second as he leaves the chambers. Okay, thank you to the mayor again. And are there any additional members of the council who need to state a recusal for the public hearing item? Okay, thank you. Is there a staff report? Yes, there is. Uh, good evening, council members. My name is Sean Mendron, planning officer with the planning division and, and community development department. Thanks. <laughs> Works a little bit better here. Um, again, this project is the downtown specific plan amendment um, to block 20 and also a general plan amendment to the land use and transportation element. Um, project 2018-7585. Um, we're bringing this project back to planning, or sorry, city council, <laughs> because we had a uh, noticing error um, back originally when we brought it, um, I think it was in January of earlier this year. So we have um, gone through the process to uh, rescind motions and actions that were taken on it and did a correct notification and mailed notice to residents within 2,000 feet of Block 20. So we've taken it back through the process, and it went to Planning Commission on February 6th, and now we're bringing it back to City Council to take a, an action on the project again. And we'll kind of run you through that background. So um, in order for a general plan amendment to go forward, it first has to go through a general plan initiation process, and that was approved back by City Council back in May 8th, uh, May 8th. 8th and 2018, sorry. Um, the initiation was to study the entire uh, Block 20 uh, to look at high-density residential and uh, office to, and changing office to mixed use, um, increase the residential, dense, uh, residential unit count to 103 from 51, to increase commercial square footage from 16,000 square feet to around 36,000 square feet, and to update the development standards and design guidelines specifically for Block 20, and then no change um, in the height limits that exist currently, which is 40 feet for residential and 30 feet for the office. So the background on the pu uh, previous public hearings um, kind of go in this order. Originally, when we took it forward, um, went to Planning Commission in December 12th of 2022, um, they had a recommendation for council uh, to approve the project, which the council re reviewed the project on January 10th of 2023. Um, that's when the issue of uh, the notification uh, process uh, came to light, and um, that's when uh, staff determined that we needed to do re-notice and take the project back through the process again. Um, we brought the project back to city council on January 24th to rescind the action that was taken on January 10th, and then we took it back to Planning Commission on February 6th to rescind the Planning Commission action um, from, 
it's complicated, uh, December 12th, and then they um, provided a new recommendation for council to approve the project. Um, the noticing that was conducted um, was per the code requirement and city council policy, which included a city bulletin, a legal ad, um, mailed notices to um, properties within 2,000 feet on Block 20, and then on-site notice boards. The study includes um, updates to the downtown specific plan specifically for Block 20, and it's based on uh, two conceptual projects, uh, one at the corner of Olive and South Matilda. Um, that is at 562 and 568 South Matilda Avenue, and that's Sean Tahari, Tahari's project. And then um, Sean Karini's project, um, which is a little further south, uh, closer to El Camino at 510 and 528 South Matilda. Um, and as part of the amendment and the proposed concepts that those two project sites had, that's where we looked at into adding additional residential units and office and commercial square footage and then modifications to the design guidelines and development standards to address um, uh, the uh, considerations being adjacent to existing residential development. As part of that, and since we were bringing a general plan amendment pro um, project back to City Council and Planning Commission, uh, we wanted to update the general plan land use and transportation element. Um, we have a build out project build out table that needed to be updated to accommodate uh, the build out potential for the El Camino precise plan that was already approved last year. So that was also part of this project and included in the resolution. And this slide just shows you where the um, subject sites are and gives you a point of reference. So the top uh, red box is the 510-528 Matilda. Uh, that's Sean Tahari's project. Um, then we've got the middle one at 538-540. That's the existing uh, formerly Silicon Sage project, which is a uh, condominiums with some office space, I believe, on the ground floor or uh, residential uh, communal space on the ground floor. And then we have Sean Karimi's uh, sites uh, just next to that to the south, uh, which includes an existing single-family home and then his uh, converted, I think used to be a single-family residence, which is an imaging center currently right now. And then uh, further south, we have another medical office and then a bank at the corner of El Camino and South Matilda. Uh, to the east of that, we have um, two-story uh, apartment buildings, um, and then uh, commercial office space. And then further east of that, we have Tave Street, which is part of the Heritage District, and we have, which is single family residential buildings, one and two story. So the first conceptual project is the 510528, which is on the corner of Olive and South Matilda. Um, the subject site is almost an acre, it's a 0.72. Um, the project included housing above ground floor commercial. Um, the conceptual project was up to 60 feet in height or five stories. I had about 43 to 46 units, which works out to about 60 to 65 units per acre. And it had about 10,230 square feet of ground floor commercial. The second concept for Mr. Karimi's site um, was on a site that was about 0.44 acres. Um, it was housing over commercial, uh, which was originally intended to expand his existing imaging center. Um, the height for that proposal was about 46 feet or three plus stories. 
uh, with 25 units at about 4,200 4, square feet of ground floor uh, office space. So um, after staff had done the review of the proposals um, and considered other state density laws that have gone into effect since 2018 when the uh, general plan initiation went into effect, um, we've had to kind of work through the numbers and kind of work backwards to get to a number that addressed one of the concerns that came up from the public during the community outreach that we had done earlier on. Um, and then also just to kind of help keep it closer to the height that um, we want, the council wanted to keep it to. Um, so you can see on this table here, we have the current DSP um, two zoning districts on the block. So the orange is the northern half, which is a high density residential, and the pink is the office, which is the south half. And so we basically changed those numbers. Um, currently it's at 51 units and about 16,000 16, square feet of office and commercial space. What we're recommending now is some swapping around of some of the uh, commercial office to convert to downtown mixed use, and that's around um, Sean Karimi's property, um, to allow up to 70 uh, dwelling units for the whole block on Block 20. And then um, that would allow about 30,000 square feet total of office space on the entire block. So that would be spread out between um, the, both Sean's properties um, and then any existing uh, that's remaining on the two southern parcels closer to El Camino. And so this is just a slide of the summary of the amendments that are included and uh, the downtown specific plan, uh, mainly in chapter five, which deals with the land use and development intensities. So um, we changed the high density residential for block 20 to 1.3 acres, um, or sorry, high, high density residential from 1.3 to 1.63 at downtown mixed use uh, designation. The residential unit count went from 51 to 70 units. Uh, the office and commercial square footage went from 16,000 approximately up to 30,348. Uh, there was a historic resource reference that was noted in the downtown specific plan at 56 South Matilda Avenue. That's the residential home on Sean Karimi's property. Um, that had been taken off our resource inventory a while back and just needed to be corrected in the downtown specific plan. So that is also included in the amendment. And then we're uh, maintaining the building height at 40 feet for um, all the residential development. Um, we updated the allocated units in Appendix A of the downtown specific plan. So Appendix A has a table broken down by parcels and blocks and does the allocation based by the parcel size and the percentage the parcel takes up of that block. And then we have new design guidelines for block 20 and Appendix B. And then also uh, the land use and transportation element, we just have an update to the build-out scenario table, which I think is, is 3-2, Trudy, does that sound right? 3-2 or 3-1. And just um, an overview on uh, outreach and hearings that have been, uh, taken place so far since this project's been in. Um, we had our first outreach meeting on July 14th in 2021 over Zoom. Uh, we went over the um, proposed uh, projects for um, both sites and got a lot of input from the neighborhood. 
use that um, to de develop the design guidelines and development standards to address their concerns. Um, we took it to a planning commission study session November 21st of 2021. And then um, after we've done the corrections since January of this year and brought the project back through uh, rehearing back on February 6th, uh, we took it to planning commission on the 6th and it was a recommended that city council approve per staff recommendation with a 7-0 vote. Uh, we did have five members of the public speak. Um, generally had concerns about height, uh, privacy concerns, and traffic. Um, but the Planning Commission still did recommend approval of 7-0. And the staff is recommending uh, approval of Alternative 1, which is to accept the EIR addendum and Attachment 4, and then also Alternative 2, which is to adopt the resolution to amend the general plan and the downtown specific plan and um, which includes the amendment to the figure figure dash figure three dash two sorry and the loot um, to correct the build out scenario table in, at in attachment five and that concludes staff's presentation thank you so much uh, i'll go ahead and turn it over to my colleagues if they have questions uh first up councilmember melton yeah, thank you, Vice Mayor Dean. Sean, great presentation. I, I just wanted to be candid and say nice rebound from the noticing error. Um, these things happen, but I'm glad you were able to complete the outreach and bring this back to council so quickly because there's a lot going on in this city and CDD, so um, good stuff. Um, I found myself just momentarily confused during the presentation, um, so I'll ask the question, is this RTC the same as the RTC that you brought us in January? Technically, the RTC is a, um, a new transmittal report, but attached to the, your RTC that you received this evening is the original staff report that was written about the project that went to the Planning Commission in December. Yeah, nothing changed. Correct. Yeah, okay. I was momentarily confused right. that something had changed and that um, would have been totally different. <laughs> Mr. Nagel, I'd, I'd like to just have a quick conversation. Um, so I've, I've been at this for 10 years between the Planning Commission and City Council, and I can remember only one other time where um, we rescinded something. I can't even remember what it was back on the Planning Commission, but I just wanted to tell you what my thought process is going to be on this and get your advice if I'm thinking about this the right way. Because we talked about this in January, right? My memory is fresh. I remember what it is that we talked about. And to solve the noticing error, the city went out and re-noticed and solicited input from the community. So the way I'm approaching this is I'm just going to listen intently to public comment to see if that influences my calculus that I applied just a month ago in making the findings and coming to a decision on how to vote. Does that sort of mental calculus uh, sound good to you, City Attorney? Um, yes, that was the purpose of rescinding and bringing it back so that the council would be sure that they were getting as much input from the community as possible okay. and to comply with the law. I look forward to the community input. Thank you very much, Sean. Sure. Thank you so much, Councilmember Melton. Next, we have Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for the presentation and for going back and, and doing the work here. Um, and I was just reading through the materials, and in the Planning Commission meeting minutes on page 10, it says that there were no public comments at the February 6th meeting. Is that right? 
uh, in the minutes that... Yeah, for the Planning Commission, because I don't remember it quite that way. That might be the draft minutes and the, oh. the final minutes that were approved. There were six or five speakers. Okay, okay, that's right. I'm sorry, I just saw that one thing and I didn't quite catch the draft, so I appreciate um, appreciate that having been corrected. No uh, I just wanted to make sure there. Um, and then if we had uh, properly noticed the first time around, how much time would have been given between the initiation of that outreach process and then the Planning Commission City Council meetings? if we had done it originally? Because I've heard from some people it seemed a little fast. Or is this typical? There's a minimum 10 days from the time the notice um, is uh, sent or published in the newspaper to the Planning Commission. Okay, so this was within in the guidelines that we would have. Some might have longer because it's developer involved, etc. Occasionally it's longer when there's more complex environmental review that's required. In this case, an addendum did not require that longer um, time frame. Okay, thank you. Um, that's helpful. And then, uh, you know, I really do feel for the residents who have concern over privacy because that can be a real thing, especially with the types of homes that are around. Um, what if, if, you know, we do the, for whatever they end up doing, so let's say they do density bonuses, and they go above the 40 feet. As we discussed in the last meeting, that's possible because of state law. So how would we go about mitigating those privacy concerns if they were to arise? We would, <coughs> excuse me, use our um, objective design standards that we have adopted to the best we can. Um, they would have the opportunity to use state density and, and housing law to seek waivers from the development standards, but we would push them as much as we could to get as much landscaping treatment and additional setbacks. And I think we have a daylight plane kind of um, issue on the on that eastern property line to kind of get those setbacks to address the privacy. Okay, so what you're saying, if, if I'm getting it correctly, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that we do have standards that would require them to create privacy barriers of some kind, but they could, so they could get out, they could issue, have waivers to our design, to our, the standards that we have, so they could, I'm trying to figure out, can they go and get the waiver for that specific thing? They, they can get waivers for quite a few things due to state law. Okay, so and this would be one of them that they could. In yeah, the just depending issue. on how their project pencils out, they'd have to document if this is affecting the kind of the pro forma of of the project or not. Okay, and Councilmember Cisneros, we we tried to work with the um, developers to um, do the right thing. Um, so even though there might be some opportunity through a state law, um, we have a pretty good relationship with the developers, uh, most of the developers, and are able to um, affect some, some changes to their design. Awesome. And I'm glad to hear that we have that relationship because that's really key and that's the kind of relationship we build with our developers. Um, and if it were to come up as a penciling issue, I would encourage the developer and the applicant to go ahead and, uh, you know, find another way to mitigate that cost for them. And I would be willing to... Um, you know, really accept a different waiver for something that doesn't as directly impact the residents. Essentially, I'm, I'm talking to the 
developer applicant right now. <laughs> That's something I would prefer because we want to maintain good, solid relationships with uh, our residents, with our community, and that would go a long way to helping things go easier if you were to ever come back. So I'm just speaking to them, not as much to you all. Um, that's all the questions I have now. Um, I kind of addressed the more substantive um, pieces in January, but thank you very much for coming back with this, and I look forward to hearing what my colleagues have to say. Thank you so much. Uh, next, we have Councilmember Sonia Vossen. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Thanks, uh, Sean, for a great presentation and then fixing the notification issue. Um, I have a, a, a math question regarding the response I got uh, of the uh, Monday question, Monday response, council questions. This is regarding the square footage of the commercial space. Uh, from your presentation, it appeared that it were, the requested amount was 36,500 square foot. Uh, but then the net increase is 4,070 square foot. But somehow the math doesn't seem to work for me. Could you explain that? Um, the 36,000 was what was within the scope of the study. We're recommending around 30,000. Correct. Um, and that the net includes the fact that there's a ten or a several thousand square foot building. I'd have to look up the size of that building um, that would come out. Um, at the same time, there was a correction to the math in the in the table, but the net okay. of four thousand is because of what's currently out there. Because one of the buildings, the five ten building, has got ten thousand uh, square foot. I'm missing another 15,000 square foot office space somewhere else. Well, 6,000 of it comes off because we're not recommending 36,000. We're recommending 40, uh, excuse me, 30,000. Wow, okay. if I could say anything else wrong, I'll try to do that. Okay. No, I won't. <laughs> okay. So uh, with that, <clears throat> so uh, what is the, how are, are these office spaces uh, just a, a commercial space or a true office space like a software company or something like that? Or how is this invasion? Any idea? Um, I, I, sorry, that was loud. Uh, <laughs> for uh, Mr. Karimi's uh, project, and, and it'd be good to ask the applicant, my understanding is he wanted to expand and make more room for his business while also making some uh, ability to have some rental property above. Um, and then um, the property on the corner of Olive and Matilda, Matilda um, that was going to be either office or commercial. Um, for us that work here, we'd love a coffee shop across the street, but um, <laughs> um, he hasn't specified what, what type of commercial uh, or office yet, but it would be up okay. to him. They would be all small offices, so not a large tech company, um, right. possibly a very small startup, uh, possibly an insurance office, some sort of professional uh, work, or could be a specialty um, um, a medical office, as is on the southern property. The but commercial in a generic sense, not just office, could be retail. Okay. Thank you very much. The main concern I had was the traffic issue and parking. As we know, Matilda has very, very limited parking. And then if the buildings do not have parking, the parking will be spilled on Olive and other streets. And then it could come across this uh, Matilda to our uh, cities and city hall also. So that's what I'm concerned about. Uh, if it is 
a regular commercial space may not be an issue because the, the it will not be a eight to ten hours of parking in a spot. Is that correct? The commercial space would have to provide parking. There, there is currently a mixed-use building um, between the two subject properties where the the plan would change, um, and although the offices are currently closed, um, they were open for a while and they were um, they had enough space. Um, there were some issues with um, uh, employees wanting to park elsewhere, not park in the garage. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to work with that that property owner to get the okay. them to park in the property. When I location. walked by, when I walked through the bil uh, property today, I saw the there were vacancies and parking signs near five ten uh, as such. Yes, that site um, has currently has vacancies, so there won't be a parking issue currently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other question I had was uh, uh, regarding the building height. I know uh, Council Member Sisnaros asked about this. Uh, because there are adjacent uh, uh, apartment buildings, I understand that we, uh, as a city we cannot restrict the building heights, but then in your presentation, Sean, you mentioned that commercial height is reduced, commercial space is uh, height is uh, restricted to 30 feet. Is that correct? Or uh? yeah, the block is uh, split in height from the mixed use. Or sorry, the mixed use designation is 40 feet. And then the uh, existing office, which is on the southern end, will stay at 30 feet, which is the current height designation. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, also, the uh, two buildings, building 538 and 560, which are already built out, those you mentioned, uh, you referred to that. Uh, when I walk through that, they appear to be purely residential. I'm wondering, uh, is Yes. What is the need for mixed use, or can we have these two uh, block 20 as purely apartment? That way, we have more housing in that block. I mean, it currently has that designation. Um, we're process processing this based on a request from the applicant to have some flexibility to do office space on the ground floor. So, like I said, we can uh, the. Council can ask the applicants a little bit more information on why they're coming forward with their proposals. But um, Mr. Karimi, I believe, wants to expand his business. And um, the other site was, it was just to, I think, make it pencil a little bit better was to have a commercial or office space on the ground floor okay. to get the residential above. And, and having residential that low, close to Matilda, is pretty noisy, so it's kind of better to get it a little up and a little further back, um, too. So that's why it kind of made sense to get some non-residential use on the ground floor. Okay. Those are my questions for now. Thank you very much. You're Thanks welcome. for uh, bringing to the Council so fast. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Councilmember Srinivasan. Next, we have Councilmember Sell. Hi. Thank you for your presentation coming back to us. Um, in the um, council questions, uh, I was asking um, about the privacy of the single-family homes 
and I think in the count the answer was that between these buildings and the single-family homes was the R4 two-story buildings uh, for the R4 two-story buildings say they really redeveloped um, will they stay two stories but they can't stay two stories because we have the um, state laws that might give them density bonus um, does does R doing this to the block 20 impact the R for like what can they go higher or is it how does this impact the R4s what we're doing with the block 20s what we're doing with block 20 shouldn't impact what what's happening at R on the R4 property right now the height designation for that uh, portion I believe treaty is 55 feet does that sound right I'm looking it up as we speak. Okay. <laughs> I believe it's it's taller than what's allowed on block 20. It uh, is 55 feet. 55, thank you. <laughs> um, so it, if it were to be redeveloped, they probably would go higher just to get more units on the site um, to make it work. Um, but we would, we're redoing our objective design guidelines right now uh, for the citywide multifamily, so that would be another tool that we could use to help provide a better transition between that and the TAFE neighborhood that would be on the east side of that property and whenever so that happens. When we do the objective standards, could we keep the height of those R4s as objective standard as a certain height? And that would be our buffer between the this, what we're doing at Block 20 and the single-family homes. I, I don't think we can change the height at this point. Um, partly because it would affect the allowable density on the site, and that's part of the state laws um, that were adopted as part of the Housing Accountability Act, is that you can't take a site and downzone it, which if you change the height, that basically will, will downzone the site. I mean, we would keep the R4 at its current height, and with that, like... Well, there are many, many other R4 properties around Sunnyvale, so... Um, we can't just zone that one site for two stories. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other question I had is, so um, with the office, the office, because it does not have housing, it will stay a maximum of 30 feet. There is no higher density bonus for office. Correct. So it will stay 30 feet. And um, the um, residential, um, the concept for the developer, they came in with five-story, 60 feet. But then um, how do we get from their concept 60 feet to the now 40 feet? We can define the 40 feet and then it goes from 40 feet and then it has density bonus. They'll, they'll have to work with the number of units that are assigned to the uh, parcels that they own and then work within the 40 feet um, and try to get to the density or the unit count that's allowed at that point they can start using state density bonus law to get additional units on the site and that might allow them to go a little bit higher than 40 feet I don't know if they'll get up to 60 feet because um, be that included quite a few units yeah, I'd, I'd like to add, one of the reasons um, we recommended a lower amount of commercial development for the block was to um, reduce the amount of, um, of commercial for each of those two um, 
properties that where, where this change would, would be affected. So if you had too much office, it might have to go on the second floor, which would then push the units higher. Um, so that, that's built into why we went the 30,000 as opposed to the 36,000 square feet. Okay. To, to try to control the height. Okay. So it seemed like from the outreach that you got from the community, um, you've been trying to keep them at 40 feet, except with the density bonus, um, they might go over that, but you don't expect them to go to 60 feet. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, hopefully they do not do that. <laughs> um, again, these are all conceptual plans. It's just something for us to do an analysis for. It's kind of the maximum that they could get on the site. So these aren't really fully developed plans yet. Um, so when they come in, that's when we'll have to work with them um, to determine kind of the 40-foot the level and then what they're trying to squeeze in within that and any additional height that they're, they're trying to get. Okay. And do we have any other mechanisms to encourage them to stay at 40 feet or just talking to them? That's mostly what we have. Just working with them ahead of time, I think, and doing preliminary reviews and uh, just encouraging them to be a good neighbor. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Councilmember Sell. Next, we have Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, uh, and thank you for an excellent staff presentation. Um, so, uh, first off, I want to echo Councilmember Cisneros' comments on privacy. You know, personally, I would say that if the developers are having issues meeting their pro formas, uh, I'd be willing to discuss practically anything else to help make things work other than a waiver on the privacy screens uh, and the landscaping for privacy for the neighbors. Um, could we get the slide with the delta on the office space and the residential backup, please? The one that showed the existing and the proposed. That's the one. Thank you. Um, so. Council this is coming back to Council Member Srinivasan's question about the math. Um, looking at this, if I'm correct, it's saying that currently there is 16,400 square foot of office space on the property. Is that right? The, the whole block in the downtown specific plan says 16,400. There's actually more office out there today because one of the sites zoned for residential has an office on it. This is the Mazetta building, the white building at Correct. the corner? Okay, so Correct. that is where the extra 10,000 of office that is not on this slide is coming from. Correct. And so that's how we have a delta of 4,000 square feet of office? Correct. Okay, thank you. That is very helpful for me. Uh, does, and uh, through the Vice Mayor, uh, Council Member Srinivasan, does that answer your question about the math? <clears throat> yeah, somehow that should have been included, but yeah, it answers okay. my question. Thank you. Because I was having the exact same <coughs> question of how we were going from 14,000 to 4,000. Okay, very good. Um, 
There is currently street parking on Matilda in front of Block 20. I received, an, or I believe we all received an email from a member of the public. Uh, currently that area is slated for Class 2B buffered bike lanes. Um, and so is there, and this might be a question for Mr. Taylor in the back, I see you in the back there. Um, so my understanding is that if, when, if and when this site were to redevelop, the developers would be required to remove the parking and install and pay for bike lanes or dedicated front edge area for bike lanes. Could you speak to what that actually, what that process is? Certainly. So the, um, this particular area has a plan line for the ultimate build out of the roadway, which would include exactly what you said with the buffer bike lanes. So we would, uh, when a property develops, we would get that additional right away that we need. And then we would work to get the curb moved as part of that to be able to do the buffered bike lane. So that would be over time and as we negotiate. Depending on the size of the property, we may take money for it instead of just moving the curb a little bit. And then the city might do it right. later to finish the project. So we'll see how that builds up. All right. Thank you. And the street parking on Matilda in front of that site, that would be a goner when the site's redeveloped. Yeah. Right? In order to put the bike lanes in there, that parking would need to be removed. Okay. Thank you. Um, Question either for Mr. Mendron or Ms. Ryan, the 40-foot height limit, that translates to approximately four stories currently, correct? For residential, that's about four stories. For um, non-residential, it's typically more like three stories. Right, and this would be more on the residential scale, even with the ground floor office. Um, my understanding, okay, so again, I am not a lawyer, nor am I an expert on state housing policy. My understanding of the way the density bonus used to work was that with four stories, you could generally only get a single additional story off of the density bonus. Um, that is not factoring in the change to state law where developers can essentially seek further vari variances and waivers if they're, they can show that their pro formas don't pencil. But assuming their pro formas were to pencil, would it be accurate to say that they can probably only get one additional story off of the state density bonus? It's a very difficult question to answer um, because the state law hasn't been fully tested. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a lot of case law for for um, for guidance. Um, at this point, we have individual projects in different cities or in Sunnyvale, and um, the general um, opinion of a lot of the uh, um, legal world is that there are fewer and fewer um, restrictions the city can put on a project that um, someone proposes. Um, they can t they could do the density bonuses, but to fit the units in, um, they may be um, eligible for um, unlimited waivers. Right. And I'm just assuming, my question is assuming that there is, that they don't, that they can fit the units in without claiming the waivers, but um, okay. Well, then they wouldn't have to go over 40. Well, I mean, hmm. okay, never, we're, we're getting into the weeds. Um, so last question, um, the noticing issue. I, I have to say that this is something that I find very concerning. You know, it is, um, it's about trust. It's about maintaining the trust of our city's residents. Um, and so, you know, I, I did, I was the one who asked the question in the Monday questions about, you know, what are we doing to sort of, you know, rectify this? I'm glad that we had the training. Is there any sort of, and this may is probably more a question from Ms. Ryan, is there any sort of checklist 
on GPIs, on projects similar to this that staff has on, you know, legal requirements that must be met before, you know, at each stage, um, you know, including the noticing. Is there a checklist? Is there an instruction manual? Is there something called out? Um, yes, there are checklists, and those have been tuned up. Um, and um, we will include a lot of the conversation about projects early on, um, the notice, noticing requirements for projects early on in the process, so that you're not waiting till the last moment to, to make that determination of what the noticing needs to be. Okay. And those are also on GPIs and not just specific projects? All, 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 anything that would be going to public hearing. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. I very much appreciate that. Um, and with that, I believe that does it for my questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember Mellinger. Uh, I'll go ahead and open the public hearing on this specific item. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card. If you are in person, use the raise hand button now or dial star nine on a telephone to indicate you wish to speak. Uh, I will call on members of the public participating in person first. Then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute when it is their turn to address the city council. Uh, there are two applicants. Each is provided 10 minutes at the beginning of the public hearing to address the city council, along with five minutes at the end of the public hearing. Is there an applicant presentation? Uh, we don't have a, we didn't receive a formal presentation from either applicant. However, they are both online, so I'm not sure if there's a, a preference for which Sean is heard first. Uh, we can just do it in order of hand raised. Uh, okay, so if the, the two applicants, if you could please uh, raise your hand if you'd like to participate in having a 10 minute applicant presentation. Okay, Vice Mayor, I don't see either uh, applicant raising their hand. Okay, and I just want to give the applicants uh, one oh. chance right here. If uh, either of the applicants do want to speak uh, and take up their 10 minutes, now would be the time. So final call to them on it. Uh, yes, we do have a, a hand raised by applicant Sean uh, Tahiri. Okay, perfect. Sean, uh, if you would please. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I want to thank... Uh, the staff, city council, and everybody else who are at it again. And I'm uh, hoping that all of you support the staff recommendation on Block 20. This has been going on for almost five years. And one thing I wanted to share with everyone is it was not discussed on this meeting that the property behind uh, Dr. Karimi and uh, our property has a height limit of 55 feet. And um, even if we build 40, 50 feet, it's not, going, it's not going to matter really because those properties can build up to 55 feet and maybe the bonus and all, they can go up to 80 feet. So the whole blocking of the neighborhood is kind of moved. Just wanted to share that with you guys, and I really appreciate if you guys uh, support the staff, what they recommend. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, and Councilmember Sell, I see you have your hand raised. Do you have a question for the applicant? Yeah, I was wondering, are we allowed to ask the, um, 
the owner developer um, their philosophies on height knowing that our community is very sensitive to height on this uh, development in this area can we ask them what their philosophy is for height Sean if you have a response to that the, the limitation that's posed on the council is that not prevent them from getting a waiver from height, but you're obviously free to ask them their opinion. Um, if you dislike it, you may not be able to do anything about it, but you are free to ask them their opinion. Okay. Wait. Oh, will I have to recuse if I ask this question? Okay. So all I'm asking is their opinion. I'm not requiring a waiver or anything. I'm just asking their philosophy and opinion on height. On the on the residential unit, n that's perfectly fine, and it won't con it won't create any conflict of interest or anything. Uh, Sean, would you like to answer Councilmember Sal's question? It's just too soon to answer her question. Philosophy is, you know, everything has to pencil out, and um, you definitely work with the city staff, work with the everybody in the city to see what benefits everybody. We are not just going to go single-handedly say, okay, by law we can do this and uh, go ahead with that. But that's all I can say right now. But it's way too soon to even think about that. Thank you so much. Uh, Councilmember Cisneros, I see you also have your hand raised. Uh, not a question for the applicant. It was just for, for after. Ah, okay, perfect. Thank you. Uh, and then to the other applicant, did you also want to take advantage of your 10 minutes? Uh, sure. Hello? Please, go right ahead. Yeah, I'm Sean Karimi, and, uh, you know, uh, initial uh, contact with the city about this project was back in 2016. Now we are in uh, February of 2023. So uh, uh, I was told it took us about two years to to start the initiation process. So we we got the application in front of the city council back in 20, 2018. So now it's been about what, what about five years now that we've been involved in this project. Uh, you know, five years is a long time. It's not like uh, one day. You know, five years is, uh, if you multiply that by 365 days, you're looking at 15,000 days. So there were a lot of various people involved from the city, various departments involved in the city. There were a number of studies done, numerous studies done by the consultant that they were hired. And, you know, me and Shanta Hurry paid for all this consultant. So there were a lot of studies done to do this the right way. When we started this back in 2016, I didn't know what, you know, Block 20 means. So... I was educated and I was told, you know, city of Sunnyville created this downtown specific plan, this vision for the whole downtown. And that's, that's the way they want to see things. You know, they tore down the Macy's, they're putting these beautiful buildings in there, you know, the, 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 the theater, the whole food. 
everything is part of this beautiful future of Senegal. I think Block 20 is also future of downtown Senegal. And I think all the city members, city council members, you know, I met most of them in person and we discuss our project. I appreciate the fact that, that we're putting all this energy to create this beautiful entry on Matilda and adding to the city of Sunnyvale. So the future of Sunnyvale, it is mixed use, medium-sized buildings. They're not high-rise buildings, but they add, they add to the city. They add commercial space to the city. They add beautiful walking to the downtown. They add housing to the downtown. And then through negotiation, they do provide, you know, some some sort of reduced rates in rent to the to the down to the city of Senegal. So overall, these two projects are only going to add to the future of city of Senegal. So I do support city of Senegal staff on their hard work, and I do appreciate the council member for sitting with us, listening to us, and giving us support in the last five years. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and Councilman Bersal, I see you have your hand raised. Okay. And I want to ask if I can ask this question in the, to the um, attorney, our attorney. Um, so in the uh, council member questions, the uh, response about um, this additional um, expansion of commercial office space, um, the staff responded that their estimate is that it would produce about 12 to 16 employees. I just wanted to ask the um, owner and developer if his if that is a good approximation of when expands the office. Might there be an additional of about 12 or 16 employees? Might we ask if that is a good estimation or not? Yeah, yeah. That's perfectly fine. Okay. So I just, um, uh, when, uh, with the increase in office, I asked staff, or a question was asked of staff, um, how many additional employees would be expected from this increase in office space? And the response from the staff was about 12 to 16 additional employees. That is just an estimation. I was just wondering if that might be in the ballpark of some estimation that you might have made with the additional office space, if you have any, just as your opinion. Uh, am I answering this? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, uh, I've, been, I've been in the city of Sunnyville working in the city of Sunnyville since 1984. So uh, my practice is an IDTF, Independent Diagnostic Testing Facility. I provide uh, MRIs, x-rays, and ultrasound to the public. Uh, the reason we were created, because uh, if you go down the street to El Camino Hospital, it'll cost you, what, $2,500 to get an MRI? But we were created by the Medicare to provide very reasonable uh, diagnostic facility uh, at the at the very you know few 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 days. So, to answer your questions, 
would I be increasing the number of employees working at Sunnyvale Imaging Center? Yes, but it's, is it easy to find employees in the city of Sunnyvale? The question is kind of difficult to answer. At that level, we are not a high-tech company that provides quarter million dollars to employee. So we are still trying to work, not minimum wage, pay proper fees, and attract, attract people with benefits to come to our center. Expansion is our goal. And right now, we have about, I think about 12 employees. If we increase our services, increase our hours, you know, the goal is to bring in more employees and provide a great service to the community. Thank you so much uh, to the applicant. I think staff also want to jump well, up. I, I wanted to clarify that the the um, the number of employees that we gave in the staff response is on the net new square footage. So that the, the new development may be inclusive of demolishing a building and rebuilding that. So the total number of employees associated with new development will likely be larger than that number. I, all I was giving the council was the the, the, the 4,000 square feet, how many employees might be associated with the 4,000, not 14,000 to include the re rebuilding of the office space that would be demolished. Just so as you can factor those. But never try to do the math yourself, right? Okay. I would, <laughs> could I clarify what my question was about? Well, I, I, think, I think your question was clear about the 12 to, to 16, but I, I didn't want the applicants to get confused that whether or not that was associated specifically with their site because in the case of the one site um, there are, even though it's currently vacant we were attributing employees to that space okay if that makes any sense uh, just a clarification of my question i just wanted to know in the ballpark of when we increase the square fish are we looking at 100 employees coming are we looking at you know on the order of something that's I think like the staff report thought it would be kind of negligible on the number on the amount of increase so uh, that's what I was trying yeah. to get and, it, and that's it, based on on um, consultation with the economic development uh, staff and our experience in the number of employees for different sizes of buildings so I, I, I think you can rely on those numbers okay okay thank you Thank you, Councilmember Sal. Uh, Councilmember Srinivasan, I see you also have your hand raised. Do you have a question for the yeah, applicants? Uh, adding to uh, Councilmember Sal's uh, question, uh, my math was more on the software office space kind of a thing, where each employee is about 100 square feet. That's what the math I was looking I at. But looks like this is a different kind of office layout uh, where per employee square footage might be different. Is that correct? Is this to the applicant? No. To oh, the, um, sorry. Okay, uh, can you answer? But then I'd uh, ask that we Whenever you want me to answer. the applicants, and then yeah. afterwards, because oh, okay, we'll have to get it. to public comment. But uh, for this one, please. Uh, 
So I'm, I'm not sure where the 100 square feet per employee comes, but we, we base our um, estimates on gross building area, so that includes hallways, um, elevator shafts, uh, kitchens, restrooms, everything. Whereas some, sometimes the quote for 100 square feet or, or, or 200 square feet may be exclusive of those and just the actual work areas. Uh, so our, again, it could be a tighter office, not necessarily. But th these are small spaces, so they're just not going to generate very many employees. Okay. Thank yeah. you very yeah. much. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, and I'll now go to uh, our the members of the public that have submitted speaker cards. Uh, I currently have two. First up, I have Martin Pine, followed by Melinda Hamilton. Honorable Ma Vice Mayor, members of the Council, my name is my name is Martin Pine, and I'm the chair of the Sunnyvale Planning Commission. Your Planning Commission reconsidered this item on Monday, February 6th, and unanimously recommended that Council approve the amendments to the General Plan and Downtown Specific Plan in line with the staff recommendation, which is Alternatives 1 and 2. These amendments would increase the residential allocation on Block 20 from 51 units to 70, pending state and local density bonus provisions, increase the maximum allowable office and commercial space by 4,070 square feet over existing site conditions, as I, as I think we've discussed a bunch at this point, and ab adopt specific and objective design standards to the block. To Council Member Cisneros' point earlier, if you look at the, the design standards, you'll note that a guideline a GG-B.3BNC has some massing and step-back requirements that are aimed at privacy. There's also a GG-C.5, which is about limiting views, incorporating landscaping, etc. So those address the privacy impacts that were mentioned earlier. The city of Sunnyvale is, in, is desperately in need of more housing, and it should be adding more housing in locations where it makes sense to do so. The site we're discussing tonight is part of a walkable neighborhood near Target, Whole Foods, the Civic Center, Library, etc. It's well served by transit along El Camino. It's within walking distance of the Sunnyvale Transit Center and Caltrain. If there's any place in the city where we can increase housing density while minimizing traffic impact, this location and similar ones downtown are it. The Planning Commission at its, Febru at its February 6th hearing, not at the previous, we did not hear any testimony from members of the public at the previous hearing, but at this February 6th hearing, we heard testimony from several neighbors concerned about this project. There are obvious concerns with our zero next, our four nexus mixed use property, but we felt that the separation by the wide two-story apartments will, will significantly impact, uh, reduce rather, the impact of any on the R0 development. While the R4 developments could redevelop at some point in the future, it would we heard that it would actually be quite costly to do so because of the 10 protection provisions of the Housing Accountability Act. We also heard testimony regarding the safety of driveways opening onto Matilda and would like to note that it's important to ensure that the driveways installed when these projects are developed are safe for both pedestrians using the sidewalk and cyclists using the bike lane that we're going to be adding. Block 20 amendments to the downtown specific plan have been going through the process for several years. I'd like to ask, thank staff for their hard work in putting them together, trying to synchronize the original 2018 council direction with various laws that Sacramento passed between then and now. It's time to get this across the finish line. Thank you, and I'm available for any questions about the Planning Commission's recommendation. Thank you so much. Next we have Melinda Hamilton.
Hi, my name is Melinda Hamilton. I uh, first of all want to thank you. I feel like the discussion here has been way more thoughtful, and I appreciate the fact that it seems to be much more thoughtful and in depth than what the Planning Commission did only eight days ago. Um, I I want to address the applicant's comments for a second. With all due respect, talking about height for this five years in, it's not too early to talk about height. What you're doing tonight is partially approving this program, and. Um, I actually thought that they sounded pretty entitled. They're like, we've been doing this for so long. Well, I'm sorry that we came to the party late, but we didn't know about it when the Planning Commission happened in December. We didn't know about, we barely found about the January one. We only had two weeks between the, the um, City Council meeting and this one, and eight days between the Planning Commission and tonight. So I'm sorry that we're a little late to the party, but that's not our fault. Um, I want to... Uh, remind you that when you sit there and you guys approve plans for developers that increase the density, you're basically printing money for developers. And I'm asking you not to do that on the backs of the residents. If you make the building higher there, I don't care what the, the Housing Protection Act is, a higher building on Matilda will eventually beget a higher building behind us. And the fact that there's R0 zone or R4 zoning next to R0 zoning apparently can't be changed. But that's the way it is. And not only is that our zero zoning, it's a protected historical district, so we can't actually do much when we don't want to. We like our neighborhood. But um, we have a situation here that's pretty tough. And um, increasing the housing that you have now doesn't actually go to 71 units. It goes to, 80, it goes to 86 units with the housing density bonus. That's a 43% increase over what you've got now. And I don't disagree that we need more housing. I really don't. But I think that building something that is definitely at some point going to go that high is going to trigger a higher building next door. Um, I know these developers have been working on it for five years. I know the city staff has been working on it for five years. But you know what? Not every project is right for this city. And I, I, have, I have many times when I listened to a developer on that dais and I thought they told me stuff that we can't do it any other way. And I should have said, you know what? That way isn't right for Sunnyvale. We need something better. So I'm hoping that you guys will consider that and will think about that. And we'll, the, the plan as it is now is fine. We can't change that. And I accept that. I, I totally support putting more housing on that street. But I'm very, very opposed to putting enough housing that is going to then increase the density bonus. You're never going to be able to stay within that 40 feet. So you can't control what the state law can force you to put on that you can control what it is right now and what the basis for that city law lays on top of. So I encourage you to um, reject the Planning Commission's recommendation and leave the downtown specific plan as it is. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, are there any other speakers in person interested on speaking on this item before I go to remote participants? Okay, City Clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Yes, Vice Mayor. First up is Laurel, followed by Ray Johnson. Laurel, you've been unmuted, and you have three minutes to address the City Council. Hello, um, I'm Laurel uh, Ashcraft. I live on Tate Street, directly uh, behind uh, what this development will be. Um, so it's very, um, I'm very interested in uh, working along with people as best I can. Um, since this last, uh, the Planning Commission meeting, uh, my partner and I went over and we measured the distance between the curb and the very front of the building at Silicon Sage. Don't know if any of you know what that measurement is, but I will tell you. 
there is 10 foot between the curb and the and the inner uh, or the uh, the sidewalk closest to silicon sage which i assume is city property there is another 10 feet until that building starts that is 20 feet i believe the planning commission said it would be 13 feet which is a long way away from 20 feet it's an attractive building, the Silicon Sage. It has, it's set back enough that the street tree that was planted can grow, and hopefully there might be more street trees that, that this developer or the city would require them to put in. Uh, I'm requesting, strongly requesting, a 20-foot setback from the curb. Now, you're somebody saying that curb could change with the bike lane. So find out where that curb is going to change to and look 20-foot back. And that would be a reasonable setback. The reason for this is as you travel between El Camino and 101 on Matilda, I did not see one building closer than, than what this developer has proposed. All of the buildings on Matilda are set back generously and more than 20 feet with landscaping in front. 481, plenty of uh, apartments on the first floor, the, uh, the building is set back quite a bit. I didn't measure it, but if you take a look at that, you'll see it. Silicon Sage is, 40, I think, around 40 foot. Um, if the developer gets what they want, these two properties will jut out toward Matilda and surpass the, that depth going forward. If you understand what I'm saying, they will jut out in front of um, both sides. And if you allow this height, they will jut out above. I'm amazed no one from Silicon Sage is speaking to you, uh, to the council about this. Also, I'd like to request that they would limit windows on the back, which would loom over the apartment buildings. Um, we have, those are very nice apartments uh, behind there and that would look down onto our property. Uh, I've got many other concerns, but number one, um, take that back so that the cars can level out, pedestrians can see them. It requires 10 foot from the public sidewalk. Thank you. Next up is Ray Johnson. Ray, you've been unmuted and you have three minutes to address the city council. Can you hear me? Good evening, my name is Ray Johnson. If this were a previous council, I'd be wondering why we were here to discuss a development issue that had already been decided months or even years prior. Tonight, as a new council, I'm hoping you will return to the golden days where on issues like this, the council actually solicited citizen input, interacted with the public on their comments by listening and asking questions, fostering an atmosphere where healthy debate and discourse with the public and among the council members themselves was encouraged. If somehow we were made aware <clears throat> that there was a meeting to be held today, we were given three minutes under a structured format to speak. Recently, we found that some of our previous written input we felt necessary to write due to the three-minute limit was lost before it arrived at the council's doorstep, even though it was hand-delivered to the city clerk's office. We also find story polls, which are really needed to improve the citizens' visual impact picture of the massive overbuild of new, new projects are not required of developers. 
and that Sunnyvale, because it is a charter city, can misuse the SDP in a way the state law does not allow to create a scheme where developers can collude with the city on how to ignore the existing DSP limits for their projects by paying a fee, a bribe, a form of extortion to get around those limits. This was the case for the recent Minkoff project at 490 South Matilda, where Minkoff was allowed to exceed the 48,000 square feet limit by 77,000 square feet, or 160% for a paltry 2.6 million. The issue tonight is to raise the DSP limits for Block 20, thus allowing the STP process to exceed even today's existing limits so that the existing residents' quality of life will be further eroded as the two specific development projects involved move forward with the added traffic congestion that that excessive density will bring. As citizens, we are being treated just as mushrooms are grown by being kept in the dark and sprinkled with manure from time to time. My hope is a new council, you will go back to the golden days and arrive at public hearings with open minds and actually listen to the public rather than just give the appearance of listening as the ethics policy requires and truly consider citizens input before reaching a decision. You can show us that that is the case by not approving the amendments and SDP requests before you tonight, thus putting to rest the idea that zoning is for sale in Sunnyvale. Otherwise, we citizens will be just misled again. Thank you. Next up is Paul King. Paul, you've been unmuted, and you have three minutes to address the City Council. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, great. Um, maybe a couple comments on the Silicon Sage building, which is in the center of this, of Block 20. First of all, it's great to have some developers who are not actively working a Ponzi scheme, so that's an improvement. Um, but to, a little more seriously, that building acts pretty well as a story pole for what's going to happen around it. I believe it's 40 feet, and it provides a good reference for how high um, at least the proposed, the, the buildings might be. Again, it's, it's, there's so many add-ons from um, mostly, I guess, be caused by the state that it's still a little unclear how tall the buildings will be. We appreciate the efforts of the city council at least to take in our considerations of um, our desire to keep keep those buildings at 40 feet and office buildings at 30 feet in that block. Um, speaking again of the Silicon Sage building, they have a nice design there. Um, 10 foot of sidewalk and a 10 foot setback of the building is very walkable and they've done a very good job on the driveway that comes out of that, of their underground parking. It's got a nice level out before it hits the sidewalk. No issues with visibility as you walk by. No cars coming out and surprising you, and you don't surprise them either. So there are a lot of other places in downtown Sunnyvale where, that's not, where it's not as good as that. So whatever comes on these two sites, it sure would be great if the parking structures were designed as well as the Silicon Sage building was and... Um, that would you know, help both the walkability of that area and the safety of uh, the pedestrians in that area. 
that that's that's all I had. Vice Mayor, that was the final public speaker on this agenda item. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I'll now come back to my colleague, or sorry, actually I will go back to the uh, developers uh, since each of them have the option of five minutes at the end of the presentation. Uh, to both of the developers, uh, would either of you like to take advantage of your five minutes? I'm not seeing either of them raise their hands. Oh, uh, yep, I'm not seeing either of them raise their hands, so... Is, sorry, Councilor Mellon Garcia, your hand raises us to the developers. Okay, I'll save it for afterwards. Uh, well, and, uh, one of the, well, it does appear that one of the applicants has unmuted. Uh, Mr. Uh, Karimi, were you intending to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, when, uh, again, back going back to 2018, when we started all the, the process, you know, they are currently, if you if you look at my building, and where Mr. Sean Tahiri buildings is, there are more than five or six entrance into Matilda. I think one thing, uh, and when the garbage trucks come, they make that, that many number of stops also. So one thing that, that the city of Sunnyvale and us worked out is if these projects come to the com conclusions, the number of uh, opening into Matilda is going to reduce by two from what it is right now. And uh, the garbage truck also is going to only make two stops on those two properties. So I think that's going to be a significant reduction of, uh, of risk to cars on Matilda, pedestrian on Matilda, bikers on Matilda. I think that alone is going to be a big improvement on the Matilda, let alone the beautiful buildings that's going to be put up on the entrance to downtown Sunnyvale. Thank you, City Council. Thank you, City of Sunnyvale staff members. Thank you so much. And uh, to the other applicant, would you like to speak as well or... Sorry, we can't seem to hear you. Can you give it one second? Okay, can you try again? I just want to express my gratitude to everyone for working this. I appreciate the all on this so we can get this Especially is to be in the really world and to be tighter across the city of Sunday. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I will go ahead and close the public hearing. Uh, I'll now turn to my colleagues for discussion and a motion. First up, we have Councilmember Mellinger. Yes, so I have uh, a member of the public raised the issue of the front setbacks and mentioned the Silicon Sage front setbacks. And I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Mendrin or Ms. Ryan if you can address the issue of front setbacks on the uh, proposed projects. And would those be aligned with the Silicon Sage setbacks um, or would they be jutting forward? How would, what's the situation there? 
former Silicon Sage, I should say. <laughs> no. It's on. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the actually the required setback along Matilda on Block Twenty is zero feet. Um, the setback that was done for Silicon Sage was probably for the plan line. Um, we're just checking on that, and that would have been the right-of-way dedication that was required that would have pushed the building back. If um, you look at the design guidelines that are in uh, Appendix B that are included in the resolution for the amendment for um, downtown specific plan, there are design guidelines um, that do talk about additional setbacks along Matilda uh, to kind of match the rhythm uh, that's going on that would uh, kind of replicate uh, the Silicon Sage building. I mean, former Silicon Sage building. So it would, the front of these buildings, the front door of these doors of these buildings, let's say, would roughly align with the front doors of the of the salmon building. Let's call it the <laughs> salmon colored building. We would, we would use the guidelines to, to, to get that to happen, yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, and that's it for my questions. Thank you. I'll now go over to Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, first, I want to thank members of the public who came out uh, to speak. Uh, I know it's no small feat to make it to these meetings, and it's well into the evening. And I appreciate your patience with staff as we corrected that error, and I appreciate everybody who brought it up. Um, and I was glad that we were able to correct it. And in the future, as much uh, time and space we can give the residents to get involved um, all the way from the beginning of something once we know it's going to become before council ev like eventually to have those community meetings spaced out so that we can keep them updated as things go along I can imagine this would have been a much different meeting if a couple of years ago we would have started the outreach process so I know that's not within the requirements I'm just saying that it's very important that our residents trust us and I think that would go a long way to helping to build that trust when we are doing something as redevelopment development, uh, something that the state has uh, absolutely charged us to do, and in particular, south of the tracks. Uh, we do have an equity problem. We do have a fair housing problem in the city. We can just say it, and we can work toward fixing it. So I appreciate um, all of that feedback, and I have taken it into careful consideration. Um, but I will be voting yes, but I'll explain why. Uh, so it's not just a yes, and you wonder, oh, what was Councilmember Cisneros thinking there? Um, first is we need more housing. I, I just mentioned it. It's something that we have to do legally. And I'd like to remind people that we are currently subject to the builder's remedy. And if you don't know what that is, that means that under certain conditions, if council does not approve projects, uh, they, a, a builder could go ahead and sue the city under the builder's remedy and go as high as they want, have as many waivers as they want, and there's absolutely nothing we can say about it because we don't have a compliant housing element. And so as long as that's true, these developers could turn around and say, oh, yeah, screw you. We're just going to build whatever we want. And I, quite, I personally want to avoid that. I want to say in this process, and I want you to have a say in this process. And something that had been brought up uh, in council comments is the, the issue of parking. And we do have a state law that uh, says we can't have parking, imposed parking minimums on residential developments in a lot of cases. But what I've seen, and I've watched that very carefully, what, what happens when you don't do that? It's developers right-size the parking for the development because having inadequate parking is bad for business. It makes those locations less desirable, and therefore it does not pencil <laughs> to go ahead and turn people away for lack of parking. So what I've seen just 
watching different developments that have passed since that law, that's just not a concern of mine, especially since we can have parking limits on uh, the commercial, which would be the biggest concern for me for the residential parking. And I'm glad that Councilmember Mellinger brought up the, the, the setbacks in the front, the front backs, if you will. Uh, they, uh, that, that also was a concern to mine, and I want to thank that member of the public who brought that up. Uh, that clarified my thinking on that as well. And, you know, to state laws, since we're talking about it a lot, this is a, state laws are actually a lot of the concern right now. It's like if you set a height limit of 40, which I don't believe we can go lower than that right now. Is that right, Trudy? Would that be considered downzoning if we went lower than 40? If you, well, before you this evening, it's not a reduction in what the number of housing units could be. So it's a reduction in the number of housing units. It's a, a downzoning. However, if you were to lower the height on a site that already has residential, it might be considered de facto a downzoning. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from there. That, that limits us there, too, is we may have to keep some things the same, especially if it has that opportunity to become uh, residential there, which I think is the main concern right now. It was a tall apartment building. But these state laws were passed because there are bad faith actors in this state who have created the housing crisis, and these laws were passed to remediate that. And it wasn't passed to harass our city staff and our planning staff. It wasn't created to specifically harm Sunnyvale residents. But to me, not passing a housing project to simply thwart state law really isn't um, keeping in the spirit of our collective project to remediate the housing crisis to our best ability and to work within the limits of the state. So I don't quite see that as a reason for me to vote no is because of the, the, potential, um, the potential addition of units because of state housing law, um, especially if we have a good relationship with the developer. And I trust staff to tell me the truth on that. They've told me, no, we don't <laughs> before. So uh, trust me, I, I believe that they'll be, we'll be able to get the best out of it and that these developers will work with us to make sure that we get what we want, okay? We want beautiful buildings. We want more housing. And we want the surrounding neighborhood to be considered in those plans. And from what I've seen both in conversations on the dais and out, is that that's what we're going to get. And I have no problem voting no on a future project if a developer decides not to do that in the end. If they take advantage of our goodwill, well, I will not have a hard time saying, I don't trust your, your word anymore, and that future housing project would be it would be a no vote for me as much as I want to vote yes for housing. And so, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got to say. I will vote yes on it. I, I'm glad that we brought up the, the pieces about the front backs, as you will, or, and I'm glad that we heard from a uh, planning commissioner to explain their rationale. That's always appreciated when commissioners come and just say to the public, this is why we thought this way. Um, so I'll leave it at that, but thank you so much. Thank you so much. Next, we have Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you. Thanks for the member of public, members of public for their input. It's really useful. I had one procedural question. This is a conceptual plan, right? Is there another plan which we will which will come before the council? Uh, staff want to take that? Um, yes, thank you. Um, the plan would be subject to a planning commission review, and it would only come to the city council if there were an appeal. An appeal could be from the applicant or a member of the public, or if uh, two city council meter, uh, members uh, called it up for review. Okay, thank you very much. <clears throat> Regarding my, uh, I had a lot of clarifications done this time around. I had uh, 
basically uh, la uh, last time when we discussed this i had questions about the office space and then parking traffic additional housing imbalance because of the increased housing uh, increased office space lot of things are clarified thank you very much and then i will wait for the motion okay thank you uh, next we have council member sal Yeah, I want to thank the public and the staff for your work on this. Um, I really appreciate how the concept came out at five story, 60 feet, and that staff worked to reduce the number of units so that it would be um, 40 feet and 70 units instead of what uh, the, app, the developer wanted. So I appreciate that staff was mindful of that. I also appreciate that um, there was clarification on uh, the increase of square footage that uh, the number of uh, new employees would be almost negligible. Um, so I appreciate that input. And I guess it, the um, builder's remedy does weigh on me, as um, Councilmember Cisnero said. So my questions for staff if that if we approve this then uh, this developer can't come back and use the builders remedy on this development that's my question I hate questions that box me into a corner <laughs> um, so the builders remedy is in place because we haven't um, uh, we don't have a certified housing element um, and it primarily uh, applies to sites that are um, non-residential in the in the um, general plan and the um, zoning. The these sites, one of them is already zoned for residential. Um, this would open up the mixed use, and the other one's zoned for office commercial, and it would open it up for mixed use. Um, so I I I think. The property owners have a fair amount of flexibility in a combination of items. It wouldn't specifically be the builder's remedy that came into play um, on those sites because they would now be zoned for residential. Um, but there's always a nuance to law, and because I haven't studied your question or conferred with the city attorney, okay. I, I, I won't give you an absolute, but I don't think so. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, so I'll wait for the motion, too. Okay, thank you so much, Councilmember Purcell. Uh, Councilmember Melton. Thank you. Vice Mayor Dean, I'm ready with a motion when you are. Uh, please go right ahead. Okay, great. Thank you. I move in line with staff recommendation alternatives one and two. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Mellinger. I'll second that. To your motion. Thank you. Um, I just have some notes written down here. I want to start off again by saying thank you to staff. Mr. Mendren, nice rebound, um, and great to see you here tonight. I also want to say thank you to residents, both on the phone um, and in person. Um, during the January public hearing, I pushed back a little bit about use of language like bribe and extortion. I heard that again tonight. I, I would prefer to not hear that, but if a resident has a legitimate concern, 
about anything illegal happening, please contact the city attorney or the district attorney of the county of Santa Clara. Uh, Melinda, always great to see you. You're a former mayor here in the city of Sunnyvale, so I listen intently because uh, you've got the experience eight years here on the dais, and I remember seeing you at the very beginning of this process X number of years ago uh, when the request was put in by the property owners to crack open um, this part of the downtown specific plan. So it has been a long and winding road and it's nice to see you here um, tonight. This is um, state law, city zoning, the developers working with staff and hearing feedback from our residents to do the right thing. And I like the way that um, Council Member Cisneros phrased it, which is, uh, if something comes back to the Planning Commission and it's out of whack uh, with what we've talked about, and I don't think this will happen, then it takes two council members to do a call for review, uh, and then council can go ahead and uh, apply its judgment directly on an application um, in the future. Um, to our applicants, um, I get the frustration. I was there at the beginning um, when the original request to um, amend Block 20 of the downtown specific plan was put forward. Um, obviously the pandemic hit, um, but I think this is gonna get across the finish line here. I think it's a good thing. Um, it's a good balance, in my opinion, of housing and office. I think staff did a great job of, of balancing that out, and this is the gateway into downtown on Matilda, uh, one of our prime corridors in the city of Sunnyvale. Um, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing the plan come to fruition. I'm looking forward to seeing a great homegrown Sunnyvale business, like Mr. Karimi's diagnostic business, um, have the opportunity for future growth and success, and don't we need um, more uh, professional medical spaces here in the city of Sunnyvale, along with housing and along with office space and ground floor retail. Um, so encourage my colleagues to vote yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Councilmember Cernivalson? Um, may I speak to my second, actually? Oh, sorry, of course. Uh, sorry, thank you. Um, so, uh, very briefly, I want to say that I echo Councilmember Cisneros' comments. Uh, the concern about the builder's remedy is very real. Um, last time when this project came before this council, uh, I pointed out that this is an extremely walkable location. This is very well served by transit, by services, and you know I agree with the assessment from the chair of our planning commission that this is really an ideal location for housing. I would like to take a moment to address the members of the public who have come and spoken this evening. Uh, I have heard your input, and I have heard the input of your neighbors, and I understand that this development will have an impact on your properties. As a public official, however, I am charged to act in the interest of the entire city, and not just a single neighborhood. I have weighed the concerns that you have raised, and I find that they do not outweigh the need of the city of Sunnyvale to address our housing shortage and our climate crisis. Furthermore, I will say that, you know, with the exception of the Salmon Building, which despite its dubious provenance is quite attractive, many of the buildings on that site are not. And I believe that given that this is the gateway to our downtown, the proposed projects are attractive and would be an improvement to the site. 
Um, former Mayor Hamilton, who I respect tremendously, did point out that, yes, we are, the developers will make a profit off of this. They will make a profit based on the decision we are making tonight. However, the city will also benefit from that decision. Those developers will be paying park fees. They will be dedicating affordable housing units. There are other fees, I am sure, that they will be paying into the city. And again, they will be helping to address a very, ser very serious needs in our community for housing and indeed for medical services. Based on all of this, you know, I do find that this project, this proposal, is in the public interest of the city of Sunnyvale, and I will be voting yes. Thank you very much, and I encourage my colleagues to do likewise. Thank you, Councilmember Mellinger. Uh, next, we have Councilmember Sernie Vossen. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I will also be voting yes. The reason, uh, as uh, Richard, as uh, Councilmember Mellinger pointed out, we have to look at the interest of the city. Uh, more housing is always a, a good, uh, good thing for, because we are in uh, housing shortage. A lot of things were clarified this time around. First of all, the office space got reduced, which meant uh, the biggest concern I had was the housing imbalance with the additional office space and then the parking. These two uh, I didn't want the parking to spill to the neighborhood as such. And then uh, uh, also the, na the neighbor's concerns were addressed, I think, uh, with the new proposal. I, uh, mainly the building height is the biggest concern I had. And then uh, I think the staff did a, went a very good job of at least mitigating to the extent possible to limiting it to the 40 feet possible. So with all those things, considering everything, uh, all the aspects, I will be voting yes. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Sell. I agree with um, Councilmember Srinivasan in terms I really appreciate how the staff was trying to mitigate the height because they heard the community on the height issue and um, they tried to reduce the number of units um, to hold it at 70 and that might mitigate the height. Um, I am concerned about the builder's remedy. Um, I'd like this to be closed as it is right now and for it not to go higher with a builder's remedy I don't know uh, what would happen if we didn't approve it and they went to do the builder's remedy what kind of height it would go to um, I appreciate that the office uh, increase in square footage the number of increased employees would be negligible and so I do appreciate uh, the Planning Commission, how they uh, discussed uh, that this is a place that's near transit. It's walkable to Caltrans. It's near um, main streets like Matilda, so there would be big bus lines. I do appreciate the experience of the audience, uh, the residents who came and spoke here, and 
that's why I stayed up all weekend to go over back and forth over this and try to find if I could really be opposed to it because the people I respect would like it to stay the same. Um, but in my mind, I could not come out with something to drastically oppose it. So I will be supporting it because it is putting housing, additional housing, near our transit corridors. And the um, owner developer has heard clearly from our community and our council that privacy, height, is very important to our community. When a developer recently developed in the area near where I live, uh, they could have gone higher, but they listened to community and they worked with staff, and it has been an easier process because they have listened to staff in the community. And I would hope that this owner developer uh, works closely with our staff and that would help them uh, be a stronger partner in our community. So I will be supporting this measure. Thank you so much. Uh, and I'll also be supporting the motion. Uh, I do want to say that I agree with my colleagues a lot on what the, they have already said, and I think it was well articulated. Uh, I especially appreciate staff's efforts to increase uh, the avenues of communication for our residents. Um, and I also appreciate staff's um, sensitivities uh, towards the concerns that our residents brought up and trying to incorporate that in, uh, especially around building heights. Um, and I also want to say how much I appreciate the residents who are coming forward. I think uh, you know we've had residents at this meeting at previous ones talk about their concerns, uh, and we have been listening to it, and we have been trying to take it into account. But ultimately, I think, like my colleague spoke, uh, not approving this, I think, would open up the city uh, to a lot more issues. Uh, and as it stands right now, the increases in housing that this provides, uh, I think, strengthen our city and give us uh, or get us a lot closer to the goals that we've already outlined that all of us agree on. And so uh, I will be supporting the motion tonight and uh, my gratitude to the maker and seconder of the motions for making it. Uh, and with that, City Clerk, please conduct a roll call vote. First up, Councilmember Srinivasan, how do you vote? Yes. Councilmember Mellinger? Yes. Councilmember Melton? Yes. Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Councilmember Sell? Yes. Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. The motion carries 601 with Mayor Klein recused. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go ahead and take a seven minute recess and reconvene at 920.
city manager is, but... Okay, let's go ahead and reconvene and move on to our next item, item 23-0166, or a contract to Walsh Construction Company for the Water Pollution Control Plant Rehabil Rehabilitation Project, approve amendment to contract for SOMAS for project management and approve budget modification number 13 in the amount of approximately $25 million. Is there a staff report? There is. If we could have that pulled up, please. There it is. Thank you very much, Mayor and City Council. Nice to see you this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. It's not afternoon anymore. Um, I'm Jennifer Ng. I'm Assistant Director of Public Works, and I will be tag-teaming this presentation with Tim Kirby, who's sitting right behind me, um, and we'll be talking about the Plant Rehabilitation Bid Award tonight. So I want to start off with talking about our clean water program and specifically starting with the water pollution control plant. So just get us a little oriented here. This is a bird's eye view of the water pollution control plant. It was built in the 1950s and we've done several addition over the years since then um, and we now have a tertiary treatment facility that receives average dry weather flows of about 12 million gallons per day. The plant proper is outlined there in green. It's about 16 and a half acres. We're bounded to the north by the ponds and the bay and bounded to the south by landfills and Caribbean Drive. And on the east side of the plant is the smart station. So a little history about how the program came into being. In 2006, we conditioned uh, a condition assessment for the plant facilities, recognizing the plant was aging. Um, and as a result of that condition assessment, it was identified that several structures were at risk and in need of rehabilitation. So the city at that point embarked upon an immediate needs projects. Um, and simultaneously, we started with the strategic infrastructure plan. And that strategic infrastructure plan really was aimed at answering the question of, do we renovate the existing plant processes or do we invest in new treatment processes? So that strategic infrastructure plan, SIP for short, uh, was completed in 10. We underwent peer review and council review in 11, and it ended up culminating in a strategic planning workshop in 2012. In 2012, the city council at that time decided that we wanted to invest our resources in developing a plan that is for reconstructing the plant with new treatment processes. So with that, we started with the master plan that started in 2013 and ended in 2016 with council adoption. The master plan itself is funded upon five program drivers. Um, they aim at looking at uh, regulatory requirements that we need to meet, condition of the um, assets that we have out there, capacity to plant to treat for our current residents as well as looking into the future, performance of our facilities as well as policy. And the master plan itself is built around building out or rebuilding the plant over five phases over a period of about, of about 25 years and about 30 projects. 
So here's a quick snapshot of our plant. And the reason why that we've built out the master plan over five phases um, was for several reasons. The first is because we are going to keep the plant in its current location. And in order to keep a functioning plant as well as rebuild at the same time, what we need to do is um, build a process, decommission the old process, build a new process on top of what got decommissioned, and so forth and so forth. And so we kind of move our way around the plant in that fashion. It's kind of like a kid's slide puzzle. If you, if you have kids and you're familiar with that, you kind of just move the pieces around one by one, um, side by side, um, and up and down. And so, obviously, we want to keep our current plant operational. Um, we have very limited footprint, as I explained earlier. We're bounded on all four sides. Um, spreading out the phasing for the rebuild of the plant allows us to also kind of um, deal with what it means for ratepayers and prudently use public financing um, and addressing our prioritized needs first. So this particular project as to why we're talking about it tonight, really what I want to do is I want to go back a little bit in time um, to our split flow project. So in November of 2022, Council awarded the secondary treatment thickening and dewatering project, which is going to implement a conventional activated sludge um, project to deal with secondary treatment out at the plant. And we actually have two, CAS, I'll call it CAS because it's much easier to say than conventional activated sludge. So um, this, this secondary project is going to build CAS phase one and that's going to take approximately 75% of our flow and put it through this conventional activated sludge treatment. So if you look at the slide, it's, the, it's depicted by those bioreactors at the top. Um, the remaining 25% or so of the flow is going to remain going through our current process train, which is to go and be treated out at the ponds. After it goes to the ponds, um, there are some other processes that it flows through um, before it goes to tertiary. And so because we do have CAS split over two phases, we need those other facilities <coughs> to remain um, active and, and functional until we can finish building out CAS Phase 2. That's going to be anticipated to be completed in 2035 or so. And so what are the elements of this plant rehab project that's going to keep us in working order until CAS Phase 2 is complete? Uh, it's mostly comprised in two parts. Uh, the first part is um, work at the oxidation ponds. So we'll be looking at pump stations, um, rehabbing those, as well as an electrical pump station. And then there's work that's within the plant proper. So we'll be rehabbing fixed growth reactors, air flotation tanks, looking at um, seismically upgrading our chlorine contact tanks, changing out our dual media filters, which have really gotten to work out with the algae blooms out at the ponds that um, the plant staff has been experiencing, as well as some other things, float pump stations, chemical mixing, um, and distribution structures. So with respect to costs on this project, um, we did a condition assessment. This project is founded upon a condition assessment that AECOM did in 2018. And the, the elements that they um, have identified that were in need of rehabilitation at that time exceeded the budget that the city had allocated for this project. And so AECOM worked with us to come and um, identify a smaller subset of projects which were prioritized to the more urgent needs at that time, trying to keep us within budget. 
Once we took that condition assessment, we turned it into a scope and we hired Corolla engineers to um, be our designer for this project. And right off the bat, one of the first things that we did working with Corolla was to undergo several rigorous scoping meetings in which DPW, um, ESD staff, the designer, and our other consultants worked very collaboratively together to really refine and scope out what are the critical elements that needed to be rehabilitated until CAS Phase 2. As we rolled along through design, we realized we were still projected to be overrun budget-wise, um, and so our, our really awesome plant staff um, worked together with us and identified an additional 16 elements that could be removed from the scope in order to try to keep us within, um, within cost. And so overall, we've reduced scope um, three times over the design of this project. Other things that we've tried to do is pre-qual for electrical contractors. Electrical is a big component of this project scope, and so we wanted to make sure that we had the right contractors in place um, that could help us get through construction. We also did a pretty robust outreach effort where we met individually with contractors that were um, of sufficient size and capability to deliver this project, and we made project information in uh, available to contractors well in advance, about a year in advance, um, available on the project website. So we tried to drum up as much attention to this project as we could and made ourselves available for questions along the way. On bid day, November 16th, 2022, um, we opened up our one bid. And that was from Walsh Construction Company, and that bid was in the amount of $64,390,000. Um, it was about $24 million over our engineer's estimate of $40 million. So that left us with a choice. Um, we have a choice to award the project. If we award the project, Walsh Construction is the same contractor as for the secondary treatment thickening and dewatering. They're already on the site, um, and they're so... As a result, there's going to be some efficiencies that will be realized by having the same contractor do both large projects. It will mean a budget modification, and it will mean an amendment to SOMAS's contract. And SOMAS is our construction management firm, and they help us get through construction. The other alternative is to reject bids and downscope with the intent to rebid at some time in the future. But there are some things that come along with that. Um, most importantly, it does mean a significant increased operational for plant staff. What it could mean is that several projects will be, several elements of the facility will be run to a failure, um, thus creating emergency situations um, if they do happen to fail. Um, our pre-qualification for electrical subs uh, expires this month, and so we would have to go out for a new pre-qual. Um, and there's no guarantee of pricing. We did a little bit of outreach for contractors that we met with um, who declined to bid um, and got the sense that even if we were to downscope and rebid, there's no guarantee that the pricing would come down to the extent of within budget. So we did look at what it could mean to downscope even more to get us within the budget that we have. And the tool that we used to do that is called the failure mode effects analysis. And what we did was we, we brought a big group together. It was um, DPW staff, it was ESD plant staff, ESD regulatory staff, um, our consultants, um, as well as a designer. And we did an all-day workshop deep dive into each of the elements and the processes that are 
uh, were still remaining in the plant rehab scope. And so the question is, what happens if this element fails? Basically, if we stripped it from the scope, what would happen if it fails? And the first question is, is there a safety issue, yes or no? Second question off of that is, does it result in some sort of process capacity situation? Basically, at the end of the all-day workshop, we were all pretty tired, <laughs> is that um, there's very little left to strip out. We have basically cut this project down to the bone. So with that, um, simultaneously to doing the downscoping exercise, um, our friends in finance took a look at what it could mean to finance projects. So I'm going to ask Tim to come up. Thank you, Tim. No, I'm good. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm going to, um, good evening, Mayor, members of the City Council. I'm Tim Kirby, Director of Finance. Um, I'm going to take us out. I just wanted to reflect for a minute. I was... Uh, listening to Jennifer's presentation, as she showed that one timeline where we started with a condition assessment on this project in 2005. And so we're, and I was uh, actually assigned to the project from finance back then, and I, I kind of went, oh no, I've been working on this project for 18 years? Oh boy. So, but I do want to say, um, you know, over the years, I just want to recognize the Public Works and ESD staff. I just want to take a second to do that because this is a very large project, very complicated, and they've been carrying it for 18 years, and it's uh, quite impressive. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the funding sources for this project, which, of course, is always a challenge, but we've been fortunate in this area. We have three loans, two from the state and one from the EPA that are very low interest rate uh, loans. And uh, in addition, we got a little uh, $4 million principal forgiveness on the first loan. The first loan was for the primary treatment facilities, which are um, nearing completion. The second two loans, the um, WIFIA loan, Water Infrastructure Financing and Innovation Act loan, um, from the federal government and uh, the state revolving fund loan are what covers this project and the project that was awarded uh, last fall for the, uh, the secondary treatment. So um, we have good financing sources for this. The loans are sized um, in order to uh, carry these costs and we did the financial analysis on it to, to make sure that they would. Um, and so I'll talk through that, just the impacts a little bit here. So uh, obviously with costs growing, low interest loans help us absorb that. When we model in our 20-year plan, if we're modeling having to borrow, we're generally modeling current market rates for um, what would be a traditional, um, in this case, uh, revenue bond. So lower interest, those are at higher interest rates. So lower interest does save us a little bit of money. Um, we are very tight for the next three to five years. That's when, um, you know, we just need a little bit of space to grow our rates to make sure we have a nice cushion again. But uh, we have a plan to do that. Um, we are anticipating needing additional borrowing for one of the later phases in 31-32. Um, so what does it look like for rates? The taupe uh, bars are the current rates, and the blue bars are our current estimate. Now, we're still in the middle of budget. So of preparing our budget, um, there are a lot of things going on in wastewater, and so I don't want to um, say that these are the recommended rates at this point, but this is our estimate now. So we will have to go um, up to 10% uh, in, w over the, in the next three years. So the, high, the peak is 10%. 
Um, so we're doing um, kind of stepping into that. What that does is set the revenue base to cover the payments that we have to make on these loans. And you can see those rates will have to remain higher for a few more years after that. Um, and then we have to raise them again when we issue additional debt because we're going to be, we're not going to have any of our other debt paid off by that point. So that's how sort of the rate picture looks at this point going forward. Um, so the other thing, one of the things council is approving tonight is budget mod number 13. Um, and I'll, I'll read that out. Um, but this is really to take care of the, um, um, the difference that Jennifer talked about over engineers estimate, the funding is there. It's from the loans. So we have the revenue side of this. This is the appropriation side. So I will uh, go ahead and read to you the staff recommendation, um, which is alternative one. So it's authorized the city manager to take uh, the following actions. Award a construction contract in substantially the same form as attachment two to the report in the amount of $64,390,000 to Walsh Construction Company, LLC of Chicago. Authorize the city manager to execute that agreement. Approve a 10% construction contingency in the amount of $6,439,000. Approve the ninth amendment to the consultant services agreement with SOMAS, our construction manager, uh, in the amount of $6,462,575, increasing the not to exceed amount to $36,429,124. Authorize the city manager to execute that agreement. Um, approve a 10% contingency on that agreement also in the amount of $646,258. And then approve budget mod number 13 in the amount of $25,959,709. Uh, to fund the project, and that concludes the staff report. We're available to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Are there questions of staff? Uh, first up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you, Mayor Klein. Um, Jennifer, I, I wanted to start off by just acknowledging the human component of the effort in public works. Here's here's what I've heard you say over multiple public hearings: is we're gearing up for tonight, right? You've been working on this for like a year and you've talked to all the contractors, you did the piece with the electrical to get highly qualified electrical, you put stuff on the website. I, I just want to acknowledge all of that, uh, this massive effort and you got, we got one bid, right? So I just want to acknowledge that transpired and still express my appreciation for all the effort that you did because what we wanted was a beautiful result where we got five bids and we could have great confidence that we were getting the best possible price. So I, I acknowledge everything that Public Works did. I've, I felt like I wanted to say that. Um, I also wanted to say um, I turned in some questions for the Monday 8 a.m. questions. I loved the other questions that came in from my colleagues about, you know, why do we think we only got one bid? Uh, what would happen if we rejected this bid? Uh, and I read all the responses from staff. So I, I actually feel like I have a very good grip on the overall situation. Those Monday 8 a.m. questions and the responses from staff were um, very helpful. Um, still have just a couple of other questions. Um, I heard you say the word emergency situation, Jennifer, right? So I would like staff um, to maybe provide one or two examples of 
a thing at the water pollution control plant, and I'd like you to describe the thing in plain English, right? What is a thing that is going to be fixed under this contract that is near failure, that is a critical thing, and then what would happen if it actually fails? Can staff come up with one or two examples of things that you've seen with your own eyes at the plant that are explainable in plain English what it does and then what would be the consequences of a failure? So I'll start with the chlorine contact tanks and I might ask Ramana to help me out a little bit here. But the chlorine contact tanks are part of the plant rehab scope. Um, right now it's identified that they're at risk for seismic failure in the event that the big one comes, right? And so if those tanks fail, we are at risk for um, we are at risk for a, a discharge into the bay that is essentially not fully treated wastewater. So that could be, you know, it's a regulatory issue. We could get fined. I'm sure there's other things that go along with that. Ramana, stepping up. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. Mayor, members of the council, Ramana Chenakotla, the Environmental Services Director. Um, a couple of examples, and we've actually had failures already that have impacted operations, um, but because we have some redundancy in the plant, especially because we have the ponds, we've actually been able to stop treatment for a few days until those things were fixed. The biggest, the biggest, biggest one is the electrical system. Uh, many portions of the electrical system have already failed. Um, so we are still operating with overhead lines running um, on a temporary basis with the understanding that this project will come and fix the electrical system. As part of the electrical system, you also have the controls, and those also need to be, many of them have already failed. So we are still, they are all on their last legs. Um, there is the dual media filters, which are the, which are part of the tertiary treatment process. So once you finish your secondary treatment, the ponds treat um, the, um, the wastewater to a certain level, then you go through a filtration process. Um, and that's what the dual media filters do. And uh, those were already at the end of their useful life. Um, but with the algae issues, they're working overtime trying to remove some of this algae. So those could fail any day. Uh, we do have redundancy in the sense we have four filters, but when you have a wet weather situation, when you have a lot of storms, you need all of them. So, so those are some of the examples of why um, we need to do this project right away, because many of these these components, if they fail, and we are not able to, we don't have enough redundancy, then you subject yourself to permit uh, non-compliance. Um, and uh, that can result in fines. There are mandatory fines. There's no getting around it. You basically, it's around three thousand dollars a day, uh, in addition to any other fines that the water board may impose if they, if we don't demonstrate um, good faith in how we operate things. Okay. Thank you for. Don't go, Ramana. Thank you. Thank you for those um, 
examples. I really appreciate it. And I think sometimes, um, I'll just speak for myself, it's, it's helpful to have a plain English explanation of the highly technical stuff at the water pollution control plant. Um, and I do feel that this is a real critical thing that we need to do. Um, by the way, um, Jennifer brought it up, and I heard you, Ramana, mention it just a couple of seconds ago, the algae blooms that we're contending with. And one thing I, I picked up on, um, I think it was at the strategic workshop, we said we can't do purple pipe recycled water with the algae situation, which is a whole other, other thing going on. What's the latest with the algae bloom, Ramana? So it's, it's still there. Um, we are able to treat our wastewater and still meet permit um, levels um, through a new chemical regime that we came up with. So we are now just starting to, we created a new process that will help us hopefully produce recycled water. So we're beginning to test that. We will do that in March, and um, we are hopeful that that will work. Okay. So we're, we're waiting to see how that process works. I know we get a RTC every once in a while, Ramana, about our chemical vendors, and we're trying different cocktails and mixtures of things. So um, hoping for all the best um, Thank you. on all of that. Um, I think I just have a couple of other questions. Um, um, back to um, Public Works, if I may, Ramana, thank you. Um, just, just a level set about bidding, Jennifer. It seems to me um, that like in the last three years, everything in public works has gotten about 50% more expensive. I mean, has gotten a lot more expensive really quickly. May not be as much as 50% or half again as expensive, but what's your sense of the bidding environment in public works? It's been a little volatile. Um, we've had issues with trades being available for work. Uh, we've had supply chain issues which have driven to longer lead times, which ultimately end up in cost. Um, some of this happened during the pandemic, and since the pandemic, even still goes on. Okay. Um, and then my last question, um, there was a, a response on the Monday 8 a.m. questions from staff about um, how quickly this all came together. I, I read into it, there's a story about lots of negotiations with the bidder, right? And then it all comes together very quickly and voila, here we are at City Council on a Tuesday night. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What What is the process of the negotiation with the bidder and how does it all snap together quickly leading to the public hearing tonight? Well, it's a hard bid situation. So once we put a project out to bid, um, and purchasing helps us with that, we then have 90 days to award the bid. So as of that, we're pretty much at the end of that 90-day period. I think it expires like today or tomorrow or something like that. Like we're, we're like right on the edge. Oh, so tonight really is the night. I, I wasn't aware of the exact 90-day thing. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, so I'll just signal, having read all the responses to the Monday 8 a.m. questions, I'm almost certainly 
quite comfortable with alternative one. I'll just mention that. I think um, when we get to the point of discussing a motion, I'll probably have a couple of requests for staff, just as, you know, sort of governance and diligence follow up. But I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you for tackling my questions. Sure. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Jennifer and Tim, for an excellent presentation, and to all of our hardworking city staff for putting in a tremendous amount of work on this. Uh, I know that this has been a very major effort for a very long time. Um, so a few questions. Uh, we've heard from, uh, in response to Councilmember Melton, you know, what the risk of a catastrophic failure might be should we not approve this bid. Uh, thank you for asking that, Councilmember. Um, are there any funding streams we could leverage other than raising rates or to help ease the impact on ratepayers here? Or alternatively, is there anything we could do to spread the rate increases out a bit over more years so that we're not doing, you know, a 10% rate increase two or three years down the line? Um, the answer to that last question is that's the approach we always take. Um, so we will look to um, moderate rate increases when we come in with our final, you know, version of the, the plan and present rates. But that's absolutely an approach we always take is to okay. try to not spike rates. Okay, so um, there, that's already being considered, so that 10% was just a hypothetical? Uh, the, no, the 10% is my estimate of what will be required. Okay. But if we can, when we get into it more, we will try to spread I that see. out. I see, so you can, that's what's required, but you can spread it out over... We might be able to spread it out, yeah, and I'll, I'll just briefly, what drives that is something called debt service coverage. Mm -hmm. Right, which is how much money you have to have over your debt service uh, after you pay for your, your operations. Um, the um, funding sources that are available, we have been taking advantage of, they are the low interest loans. Those are essentially near grant type, um, you know, uh, money that's available. We do have to pay it back, but it is at such a low interest rate, um, you know, it, it just, it's it's uh, it's just very cost effective. We're always they um, public works and ESD do a great job of trying to find other grants. They've done it with, um, I believe it was the Caribbean Drive project, which is associated with this overall program. They found some grants. Um, ESD has found a couple of grants in solid waste, which is a different utility. But we are always looking for those those opportunities out there. Okay, can you talk a little bit about how the current inflationary pressures in the economy, you know, how you might weigh those as we're considering this decision? Um, I'm not sure I understand what the, the question. Right now, I mean, essentially my concern is that we're never going to see a better deal than this because we're seeing, you know, we just saw 6.4% inflation. Um, Prices and, in fact, construction materials seem to be inflating considerably faster than that. Um, yeah. I understand your question now. I'm, I apologize. Um, I, I believe um, uh, that that is why we're recommending to award the contract is because we think there's enough risk there that we may end up in a worse position. Um, and there are some advantages to having Walsh on there on site, as Jennifer pointed out. That may bring some... Um, you know, mitigating factors into play. All right. Uh, thank you very much. And yes, I also see myself likely in favor of the staff recommendation. 
Thank you. Next up is Councilmember Sharina Bossen. Thank you, Mayor. Thanks, uh, Jennifer and uh, team for an excellent presentation. I had a question for you. What is what are the what is the term for these loans? When do we have to pay them back? Um, the two state revolving fund loans have 30 30 year terms. They're a level debt service structure. They start uh, payback starts at conclusion of the project. So once once the project is constructed, it's a draw basis. So we send in invoices, we draw the loan, we start accruing interest on those draws, but we don't have to start making payments until we uh, until the const construction is complete. Okay, so that that's my next question. When do we think the project? Let's say we award the contract today, as she mm -hmm. said. When do we expect the uh, project to be completed? I think it's 2027, fiscal year 2026, 2027. I believe so, yeah, fiscal year 26, 27. So about, I think it's, is that five years out? So then why is there is, well, there are three spikes, 6%, uh, 8%, and 10% spike in the 2024, so 25, 26? Yeah, to why are we, why do we have, you know, yeah. the, why are we growing it like that? Yeah. To build the, that's, we're doing, that's sort of the conservative, the most conservative approach to level the rates like uh, Council Member Mellinger was suggesting. So we have to start paying that debt service when the construction is done. We need to build the revenue capacity to make those payments by the time those payments start becoming due. Okay. So that's why you sort of step, we, so we're stepping into it. Okay. And if I can just add, the EPA, you asked about the structure, and I didn't answer on the EPA loan. The EPA loan is a 45-year term, and that's actually a very unique structure. It is interest only until the last six years, and then we pay off principal in, over a six-year period. Wow. And, and what that buys us is a lot of capacity in the short in the interim years to do other financing because we'll have the revenue capacity to do that and then by the time we get to that point way out when I will be long retired we <laughs> we will have but that doesn't mean I didn't make the, the good decision but we okay. <laughs> dig, let me just dig myself a deeper hole here I, <laughs> Um, we will have the rate right capacity to make those payments so out there. about 39 yeah. years from now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, the other thing is, uh, this is regarding the project management. And then I am totally convinced that this looks like a necessary uh, thing, project to be done. But will we have a situation, the cost exceeding the contingency? We have allocated 10% contingency is this a fixed bid contract or uh, can they because we literally have four years they have four years to complete and then let's say something so, breaks or yeah so um, we will be awarding the base bid tonight which is the 64 million three hundred and ninety thousand that's the number that the contractor gave us we're asking for a 10 percent construction change order contingency and um, that's actually a little bit more than the other plant projects that we've done so far typically we've asked for a seven percent contingency because those are large projects and they're new builds this is rehabilitation so it's kind of like where you remodel your home and you open up the 
wall and you hope and pray that there's nothing in the wall that's going to cause you to write another check to the contractor, that's why we're asking for a little bit more, in this case 10%, which is more in line with what we do with our standard, um, our standard other capital projects. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, I am also convinced that this is a necessary uh, alternative. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next up is Council Member Sell. Okay. Thank you for your work on this, staff. I know how important it is, and thank you for trying to keep the cost down. And um, I had a question on slide number 15. It has a graph with the water rates. My abs are getting a workout here. <laughs> so... I don't quite understand um, the blue lines and the adopted and revised. What does that mean? So the taupe, the taupe bars are what's uh, the rates, the annual rate increases that are included in the adopted 22-23, so the current budget. So that's what we showed in our 20-year plan as rate increases we would need over the next 20 years when we came to council with this current budget. The budget that we're working on now will need to have higher increases in it, and that is the blue bars. So those are our estimates for annual rate increases for sewer rates over the next 20 years. Okay. So on the bar where it goes up to 10%, I think you were mentioning in your discussions with Councilmember Mellinger um, that that 10%, you would try to spread it out? or We will try to, yeah, we'll try to spread all those out if we can. Yeah, if we can, we always take that. We take that approach period with all of our rate setting, um, regardless of you know if we have you know cost drivers that are sending it over. Anytime we have a major project that we know, we try to ease into it, you know, and ease the rates into it. Okay, so although it shows like the blue bar spiking up to ten percent, like before it spiked up to ten percent, you would gradually raise it more? Or? Well, this is going to be hypothetical. Yeah. So, so some of the choices we have are we could raise rates higher earlier, mm -hmm. right? That would be one choice. We could try to take that 10% and make it, you know, an 8 and, you know, the following year make up the difference of the two on top of what was there. Mm -hmm. um, we, we'll try to do those things to balance the rates as much as we can. This is probably uh, a pretty, this is a pretty conservative, I'm not going to say very conservative, I'm going to say it's reasonably conservative estimate of what I think they'll look like in general pattern. But, um, you know, if we can spread them, we will, but they shouldn't go higher than 10% in that one year. That should be the peak. Okay. And do you ever, like, prepare the community for that with like an explanation of why this is happening and why it's needed? Sure. So we um, are required by law to notice utility rates 45 days in advance of the public hearing. When that, and that goes out to all utility rate payers, we send a mailer out um, and that mailer will talk about, it has language in there that says why are we increasing rates. Now is it, um, does, it, does everybody read that? It's a little, you know, dense, probably not, but it does have that information in there. Um, outside of that, um, I don't think we've done any direct outreach on, on the impacts of this project recently. Okay. Yeah. And then some people um, 
are very limited in their economic um, money's tight right now. So could the rate, rate increases be, like is there some way to tell where some people would be more in need and, and they would be able to get like assistance or somehow relief? So um, for these rate, for, for utility rates for water, sewer, and garbage, um, uh, a lot of the um, cost for those is for lower income families, I think, is paid more indirectly because they're more likely to be paying them through their rent. Mm -hmm. um, but, but under state law, it's, a, it's what's called a property related fee. And so it has to reflect the cost of service. So we can't really do any subsidized rates for anybody. What we do have is we have a couple programs. We, we, um, are, we have a utility bill assistance program. So we, will work, we have partnered with Sunnyvale Community Services to provide that assistance when they need that. Um, and then recently we had the, co it's actually that, pro this second program is done, but we had a COVID program where we forgave a lot of um, delinquent balances using state funding. We received funding from the state for that. But the main one is the utility billing assistance program. Okay. So knowing that these increases will be coming, can you um, work to strengthen those programs, which might be able to um, give relief to some people? Definitely. And I just by way of background, we work very closely with anybody who's in financial distress who's an account, a, util a utility account holder. Um, we, we work with them to try to get them assistance. We work with payment arrangements. And when we have those conversations, we do, you know, make sure we employ those programs. It's a pretty small subset of customers who's regularly um, delinquent or not paying their bills because of financial issues. Mm -hmm. um, our, our payment rate is over 99% our collection rate. So um, very small, it has a, you know, it's, it, it, it's not something we see a ton of. Mm -hmm. And as you said, um, we're acting now so that won't be more expensive if we waited. Because um, if we waited, yeah, for this project. Yes, that's what we believe, yeah. Okay. And then I had a question about um, this, uh, us having one bidder and that bidder being the same. Um, with Walsh, since we only, since they're working on both projects and they're both in its sole bidder, um, is it, uh, is there any way to mitigate risks in case like something happens with Walsh or like is there some indication that, uh, or how are you mitigating risk that we only have one bidder and the bidder is doing two projects? Um, is there any amount of like tight oversight so you can see if there are um, things are going wrong and you uh, or anything like that? Have, is there any foreseeable like thing that could go wrong with just having one bidder when working on two major projects? Well, SOMAS is our construction manager, and they're what I'll call our first line of defense, right? They're going to be out at the site, and they're going to be eyes and boots on the ground um, out there inspecting Walsh's work, working closely with them every day that there's work. Um, secondly, the type of projects that we're doing is pretty complex, and the dollar amount is large enough that there's really only 
um, a handful or so of contractors that would be eligible, um, especially because the bonding capacity needed for this project. And so that is a second line of defense is our bonds that we do collect on this project. And are we a pretty large customer for Walsh so that we would be an important customer for them? Or I like to believe so, yes. Okay. So we do have a really good relationship with Walsh because they are currently working on another project with us. They, they're just starting our secondary treatment project, yes. And so we're, we're planning on a, a multi-year fruitful relationship with Walsh. We currently don't have them under contract for anything else at the city. It's really only the secondary treatment project and hopefully after tonight the plant rehab project as well. Okay. And then... Um and I noticed in your um, Monday morning questions, uh, you said that um, you've reached out to other contractors, and the other contractors, um, would they be interested in rebidding this if we rebid it? Yeah, the response we got was probably not. Um, the reason why, or one of the reasons why, that they didn't bid um, when we were open for bids was that there were other projects going on at the time um, and the resources that were needed uh, to expend needed to be expended uh, to create a bid for this one were just not available to them at that time. Okay. And then my last thing is that you have the 10% um, um, like you mentioned contingency. Yeah, mm -hmm. contingency. And so you're pretty, that's a pretty conservative contingency. It wouldn't come back and say no, it's like 15%. It should have been. It's like that's conservative. So. It, it's my goal to stay within that contingency. Okay. okay. That's all my questions. So um, I appreciate how careful staff has been. And uh, this is a complex project, and this is very important for our community. Uh, we don't want to be, uh, you know, water. Water quality is so important to everyone. So thank you for your diligence in all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. And next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for the amount of time I've been out of high school's worth of work uh, that has gone into that. I saw 2005, and I'm like, oh, that's a familiar date. So that just emphasizes to me just how long, long coming this is. Uh, but fortunately, many of my questions were asked and answered, um, particularly about the emergency situations and the smoothing of rent increases for the on the consumer end. But I do have a question about the rates still. How do we project those numbers, particularly when um, we see dips in valleys or like uh, valleys and peaks throughout the years? How is that? And I know we're going to smooth it out, but like how is that projected? Um, if I understand correctly, essentially we use reserves. So it's the, the shock absorber for the fund to keep the rates stable. Yeah, oh, I mean, um, how is it the numbers on the slide calculated? So you have, um, pull it up right now, uh, you have it go down in 2034, but it's up at 2033, the projected. So those are all, all the numbers on that slide are the amount, the percentage that the rate would increase in that given year. So, um, That's my question is like, why? Why? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, the reason they go up and down so steeply is driven by the expense side. Mm -hmm. So that's the cost. And so, what's driving that steep front 
um, that those increases right in the front is we need to build up enough um, revenue capacity through the rates that we charge um, to pay the debt service on these loans that we are getting that are very low interest rate, but the debt service is still significant. Okay, oh, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. Thank you, because yep. I, I see things fluctuate and it's always, why? Um, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so there's a period of time, if I recall correctly, if, when residents can protest rate increases. Mm -hmm. Now, is that something that residents can do now? Like only now or like before now, like in the past? Or when, it, when are those periods? Is it going to be before every increase or how, it, how what does that look like? I, I've never thought about whether they could protest next year's rates right now, but I suppose I would Sorry. accept a generic protest of, <laughs> I, I protest whatever rate you pick. Um, the, it comes, I know, it's, it's, it, there is no time frame, but we do have to notice them 45 days in advance, and we essentially receive protests throughout that entire period running up, and then the latest they can protest is by the close of the public hearing that night. Okay, so this is something they can do that that opens up every year, not just when we every single know, year. were to say yes, and then we're like, oh, well, we planned for it. So how many do we typically get? Um, last few years, um, between, I would say, 60 and 80 protests. How many do you need? You need half of the um, parcels or properties in the city, so something a little bit north of 15,000 protests. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so I'm, I'm always thinking about that engagement through and if that would affect our progress in any way, but that seems like, I mean, maybe if it went up the way it shows on the graph, but... <laughs> it's, so. it, it's a pretty high bar, I agree. Um, I, I think the percentages, if I can just provide a comment, are scarier than they than they actually are on a dollar basis and when we actually give you the rates we'll show you hey look this means four dollars a month or something along those lines right it's gonna it's gonna be um, a little bit more palatable when you put it in dollars not that four dollars you know isn't important to everybody but it especially being a finance director I don't like to cough up any money but the <laughs> it, it is we'll talk um, about that on Thursday yeah we'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> I answered your question. It does, and um, that's all I got. <coughs> Thank you to my colleagues for asking the <coughs> sorry their question. So, not COVID. Uh, moving on. Okay, um, I have a few questions. Uh, first, let me come back, Jennifer. Uh, let's talk about, um, and I appreciate the whole downscope analysis and kind of evaluating to failure. So, assuming that we approve this this. Um, budget modification and the, and the contract overall, that takes us to 2027. Now, 2026, 2027, from a um, run-to-failure standpoint, assuming there are, and, and this is kind of the, the, the difference between a managed project and an emergency fix, once this contract goes into place, is Walsh in charge of emergency um, let's say uh, failure, failure correction management from that standpoint, or is that additional on top of what the project is going to be? Do you, under, do you understand the the distinction I'm trying to make? So, if kind of the planned 
Yeah, if one of the process elements failed that was identified as part of Walsh's current scope during the duration of Walsh's project, we would work with them to try to expedite that one piece up to the front. So there's a schedule. It lasts over several years. You know, he's going, he, Walsh, is going to, um, you know, basically tell us which elements they're going to work on first and kind of work their way around the whole entire scope. If something were in danger of failing sooner than anticipated or if it did fail, unfortunately, while we had started, again, we would work with them very closely to push that up to the very front. Okay. So I'm just trying to make sure that we're not incurring additional dollars on top of um, what we're paying Walsh for. If there, are, if there are problems. So just, just trying to make sure that, that once the scope of work is kind of defined, these, these are the components of the project and they're prioritizing with working with us to try to make sure that, that you know, um, things, are, things are managed in an orderly fashion. I want to make sure that, that we're not incurring additional dollars as much as... It, it, it doesn't mean that things won't cost more by prioritizing. If we need to expedite a part that has a very long lead time item and we need to pay for expediting that, then that could be additional cost. But the goal would be to manage that within the contingency allotted. No, and, and I appreciate that. It, it's more, I want to make sure that it's, it, we're not, let's say, expending additional resources outside of this contract to try to do something that this contract would ultimately, you know, cover. Is, is, is the, so. Glad, glad that you can confirm that, and and you know I appreciate the whole run to failure concept. Uh, from a system standpoint, we you know in your in your analysis has has prioritized those systems that are running to failure. How close are we? You know how many of those systems approximately are we looking at for what they're focusing on? So basically, everything that we have put into the bid, the base bid. Um, the analysis shows that it needs to be it needs to be done. It's at the end of useful life. In some cases, past end of useful life, um, and we're you know Romana's team is doing a great job with bubble gum and, and duct tape uh, keeping us running. Um, okay, and and I appreciate that. And and you know that's what I've heard from Roman in the past, and many of his engineers that are talking about the ongoing effort. And that's why this effort was initially you know kicked off to a large degree to try to make sure that, that, you know, we are upgrading before we get to end of life or those costs continue to, to you know, basically exponentially go up as we, as we do that investment. Uh, I did want to reiterate, you know, one of the questions as far as the single bid and uh, that, that I had from, 8 a, from my 8 a.m. questions as far as if we decided to go back for a bid. You know, we're doing, this is what we look at sometimes when we have a single bid. We reject it. Uh, Assuming, especially in this case, that that it was 61 percent above what we estimated, uh, what is staff's uh, and um, basically feedback as far as what we would get if if that was the case? 
We think there's no certainty that we would get more bidders or that the price would even come down. It's a constrained site. We already have construction activity on the site as it is. Um, the work that we are doing is, is highly specialized. Over half of the work is electrical, um, and that's been in, in tough demand uh, with respect to getting the trades into work. Um, the other side is, the other half is highly process-oriented, um, specific to wastewater plants. And so that kind of um, work that comes with those trades is, is, is also, um, what's the word I want? I use the word specialized, but I'll say it again. It's also specialized work. Um, and so, you know, the way things are going with respect to escalation, if we were to turn around and go through a downscoping effort and put out another bid package, um, there's no guarantee that the cost would come down to within the budget that we have. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And Mr. Kirby, I have a question or two. Uh, first, thank you for the 18 years on this project. <laughs> Um, so, and, and we could talk a little bit about the rates and, and from my standpoint, you know, I do think, and, and we'll see what, what this comes back from a budgetary standpoint, but, uh, when we see the final rate suggest, suggested rates, seeing a 10% increase is, is scary. And I, you know, I know it's, it's numbers at the end of the day, but projection is, you know, it to me is, is critical. A, a flat rate for a few years is that seven percent for four years you know whether or not our our residents still won't be happy but but I look at you know I, I, and I look at what Valley Water has done I'm not happy with what they're doing but you know they're nine percent for 15 years or something of that nature um, under that that 10 percent you know at certain points I think you know residents have um, more See, see an increase is definitely much worse, and it's like ten. It's like nine percent versus ten percent. It's always it's it's to me that you know whatever you can do, and I understand you still have plenty of time to look at these rates and all that. But but the optics as well as just the the intrinsic um, hit to your system of a ten percent increase versus a nine percent. There's a, it's only one percent, but it it means a lot to our residents. So I, I'm assuming that you'll be working on that as far as that's concerned. Um, because of this additional cost, do we think that we will, and I think you mentioned that we'll have to go out for additional loans sometime in the future? Yeah, for the next, um, for the next phase. Right. So we were able to upsize our current loans, you know, to, to cover this part. So we're good for this, we're covered for this whole phase of the, of the, the project. It's when we get out, and I don't recall what, they're, what they're referring to that out, but we would have to borrow again in around 31, 32. Right, and so from from that standpoint, would, and this was a question kind of the the uh, WIFIA loans and the SRFs, it, is it conceivable that we can upsize them again at that point, or we w would we actually in the process over the next few years need to go out as we start looking at the next phase for brand new loans? Just wondering. It, more likely the latter. Um, we would go, we would of course start with, you know, stay revolving fund money. It is revolving, so there should be more available. Um, and um, um, the EPA has expressed some flexibility to us. They're more flexible than the state is. Um, but um, 
uh, that far out, I'm not sure if they would be interested when we got way, you know, seven, eight years from now. And I said, I hey, can we upsize it? Right. I understood. It's just, you know, it's, it's the question of do we do that request in the short term, depending upon what administration's there, as opposed to wait till we actually need the money and yeah that i'll leave that to your your eva financial evaluation but there is that kind of bigger question as far as where well, we stand six or seven years from now I, I will say it has been that funding has been fairly um administration agnostic um we got our last funding round during the last administration and so it's uh it's it's a recognized need by the federal and state governments across the country that these facilities are aging. Absolutely. Did you have a comment, Jennifer? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention that the loans, uh, their loans are competitive. We had to go through a scoring process, um, and so you know the loans that we do have are based off of the projects that we've applied for. It'd be very difficult to upsize the loans for future projects. It is absolutely our intent to go after future loans when those future projects come online. Okay, I appreciate that. And that was all of my questions. Uh, I'll pass it now to Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. So this has been an excellent conversation about the RTC that's in front of us tonight. And like I said, I'm still in favor of alternative one. Um, but can you just um, help council understand what the next RTCs are going to be? So I think right back in 2017, we did the primary treatment package. Last November, we did the secondary. We're at the rehab thing. I think we did a site prep thing along the way, Jennifer. So those are like the four major RTCs that I can recall. I think the next RTC you're going to bring on the clean water project to us is going to be about redoing the master plan, right? That's funded in the budget. I, I believe somebody's going to nod their head. So redoing the master plan is funded in the budget. You're going to go hire a consultant to do it and bring that RTC to council, I'm guessing, is the next one. What what else do you have planned for council action via an RTC? So you are correct. It is the master plan update as well as a cogeneration project mixed together. We're concluding... Um, or we've just concluded the negotiations with the consultant, and so you will be seeing something in the next six or eight weeks or so um, with a recommendation to award a consultant contract to get that going. Um, one of the things, it's not necessarily an RTC, but you, you'll, you'll probably see as part of the budget process is a is potentially a recommendation to move the Clean Water Center from f unfunded status to funded. Um, so again, that's not a separate RTC, but that is part of a council action. Um, is it okay I said that? <laughs> that's, your, that's your sneak peek into the future. Can I ask more about that? I'm I, that, that was, I'm, I'm not making this up, that was actually on my list as what's the latest on the Clean Water Center, funded or unfunded. So that'll be considered as part of the budget. That's not a budget recommendation at this point. Uh, thank you. Look, looking forward to that discussion. Um, there you go. Um, 
Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's all of council questions. I will open the public hearing. Members of the public wishing to address council, if in person, please submit a speaker card. Uh, if remote, use the raised hand feature or, or dial star nine on your telephone to request to speak. Uh, I will call members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphones when it's their turn to address city council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. Um, I see no, uh, no one in the audience who wishes to speak here. Are there any remote speakers who wish to speak on this item? No, Mayor. Thank you. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to council. Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I'm ready with the motion. Um, but, okay. Yes, go right ahead. Okay, thank you. I move alternative one. Thank you. Second. Council, Council Member Melliger. Thank you. Go to your motion. Thank you. Uh, and I'll be very brief on it uh, because I know we're getting late into the meeting. Um, I appreciate, first off, just all the work that staff has put into it. I mean, as we've talked about, the amount of years I've gone into this is impressive. Uh, and so I also appreciate the run to failure concept uh, that we've discussed and I feel confident that we're at the point of needing to do this. Uh, I wish we had a wealth of options to choose from, but uh, and I, you know, after the discussion tonight, especially you know, all of the responses and the 8 a.m. questions, I think it's well understood why we're in the situation we're in. And I think uh, Director Kirby's comments about you know, where we're looking down the line in terms of economic conditions, inflation, we don't know if we could get anything better. And there's a good likelihood that if we were to hold this off, try and wait, uh, we'd end up having to spend way more. So uh, with those in mind, I think it's necessary that we take these actions tonight, and that's why I'm making this motion, and I look forward to my colleagues joining me in supporting it. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I will be supporting the motion. I can't say I'm thrilled to be. You know, having only one bid, having it that much over our estimates is painful. Uh, but we are really between a rock and a hard place on this. Inflation, supply chain shortages means that you know, we are not likely to see any, any offers better than this. And failing to act right now could expose us to the risk of catastrophic failures at the water pollution control plant, which would be extraordinarily expensive and you know, environmentally damaging and cause just not something that we want to see. So I will be supporting the motion, and I respectfully urge my colleagues I vote. Thank you very much. And I'll be supporting this motion. Uh, I, I just want to thank staff for the outreach to first get the bid. I know that there's a lot of work that went behind that. You know, I've been hearing for years about the issues of potential failures at the plant, and that's one of the reasons why previous councils went to those efforts, working with staff to evaluate uh, how to bring, you know, this very large um, facility within the city up to a more modern, you know, able to be maintained a lot better um, uh, facility overall. And and. I think this contract ultimately tries to deal with some of the potential failure issues that we've heard in the past and conceivably uh, are, are beyond end of life for certain things. And so, so I appreciate staff you know, bringing this forward. I wish we, as Councilmember Mellinger said, I wish we had another, another uh, bid in front of us. I wish the, the, the only bid that we had was a little bit lower. That being said, you know, 
Uh, I do think that that there are conceivable uh, options from from you know reducing the overall cost because it's because we're already dealing with with this developer so so or this con this um, contractor so it works out to some degree uh, but I do of course worry about the rates and and I think that's where the biggest the biggest question comes uh, I'm looking forward to what we see from a proposed budget and the rate increases uh, I do think that that we will come up with something that's reasonable, utilizing whatever you know, whatever uh, uh, whatever we have in our playbook from from maintaining you know our current our current um, um, estimates and then kind of going forward. So so these are this is a critical decision, uh, especially with the bid kind of coming to an end. So I, I hope that all of our council members are unanimously uh, approve this motion tonight. And with that, um, City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? First up, Councilmember Srinivasan, how do you vote? Yes. Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Councilmember Melton? Yes. Councilmember Sell? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. Councilmember Mellinger? Yes. Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Motion carries 7 0. Thank you very much. Our final item is item. 23-0172, adopt a resolution amending the city's salary resolution and the schedule pay to increase the salary range for the director of NOVA Workforce Services. Is there a staff report? There is. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm Tina Murphy, Director of Human Resources, and I'm here this evening to um, request approval of to adopt a resolution amending the salary resolution and schedule a pay to increase the salary range for the director of NOVA Workforce Services. And as a reminder, the NOVA is a city department, but it does provide services to eight jurisdictions and all of San Mateo County. So with that, um, the city manager makes recommendations to the council um, for the salary of all of the executive leadership team. And so that includes all of our department heads with the exception of the director of NOVA Workforce Services. And NOVA Workforce Services is determined by the Federal Workforce Investment Act. So that is who determines what the salary range for that is going to be. We did receive in January information regarding the 2023 increases for the um, executive leadership for NOVA, and that would increase the salary range from a minimum of 169750 per year to 176750 per year, and the maximum from 203700 to $212,100. Um, this is an increase over what I came to you in November and asked, but again, this is based on the federal government's increase. The salary for the director is included in the 22-23 budget, and um, therefore staff recommends that you adopt alternative one. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have, and that concludes my staff report. Thank you very much. Are there any questions from council? First up, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I'll make it really quick. And uh, I mean, I'll jump the gun on this one and just say I'll be supporting it tonight. Uh, but uh, because, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of these salary ranges are established by the federal government, what does it look like if council doesn't approve this tonight? If council chooses not to approve it, then the salary range would remain where it is currently. And there are possibilities that the um, director would not be entitled to an increase of which they would be entitled if they work for another entity. Okay, thank you. That was my only question. Thank you. Next up is Councilmember Sell. 
Um, so my understanding is that um, Nova gets support through other sources um, besides Sunnyvale. Um, so that includes the funding for um, this director. It comes from, and could you just summarize what those other sources are? Sure. The majority of it comes from grants. Um, and so, I, I, you know, unfortunately, Tim Kirby stepped away. I think that the best description I've ever heard was one from the city manager a couple of years ago. Imagine coming up with a budget for your department and saying, that looks great. Now raise all the funds for it. Um, so that's essentially what our NOVA group does. They do an amazing job with fundraising um, to support the programs and all the salaries of their staff. So they actually raise most of the funds to support NOVA are? Um, a couple comments. Um, most of the funding for NOVA is from what's considered an entitlement grant from the federal government. So cities the size of Sunnyvale, um, you know, that host a workforce development board uh, get an entitlement, and that can change from administration to administration. So it fluctuates. Um, on top of that, there's competitive grants. And those can come typic most typically from the state or federal government. And we have to compete to offer services that are needed in the area uh, and compete and be successful to get that additional funding. Um, because most of the money comes from the federal government, you know, they've stepped in and put a cap on director salaries, and we have to respect that. Um, I will say that cap is well below the salaries of the other directors in Sunnyvale. And then um, I guess in orientations of uh, new council members coming on board, um, when the director has presented to us, um, it seems like she's very resourceful of getting funding. And could you just talk about a little bit about her background and how resourceful she is or at getting funding for the agency? I just was so um, impressed. Uh, our, our director's been very successful in this past year to compete for funding. Again, that's a, uh, for every, uh, for a NOVA director, it's, it's essential for them to maximize the services they're offering to the community, to, the, to our region. Um, they have to compete successfully for funding. That determines how much staffing they can have. It determines what programs they can deliver. It, uh, and so um, our, our current director came with lots of experience uh, in the workforce uh, area and has been very successful so far and after a year of service with the city to um, continue to be competitive with grants. And this increase would help retain our experienced? Um, yes, it would. Yeah. Okay, and lastly, um, in the new council member orientation, there was mentioned that this is a very critical time for NOBA because we've had a huge increase in um, layoffs. Is that correct? Within the, the San Mateo and Santa Clara County, yes, there have been layoffs, of, especially in the tech industry. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for um, doing this evaluation, coming to council for this. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you, Tina. Great presentation. I'll just mention Councilmember Sell and I are going to Washington next month, so we're always happy to advocate with whomever in Washington about 
bringing WIOA up to you know reasonable levels for a high cost area like Silicon Valley. Um, Mr. Stephens, can I just confirm my correct understanding of um, compensation? So for your directors, my understanding is council sets a min and a max and a adopted budget and you navigate within all of that. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, the item before you tonight is to change the range, but the actual adjustments to director salaries are done um, based on performance and, and done at my cons uh, discretion, but they're reviewed uh, annually. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. And um, it's a fun item to get. I, you know, it's not not every day we get to go ahead and make someone's day potentially like this. Um, I just had one question. So why is NOVA housed within the city and not a standalone organization since it gets its funding from other sources? I think I'm going to defer to the city manager on that one. Yeah, because I know that like San Francisco um, has theirs as an outside organization. Um, I, I think, um, I don't know the history of the, the original origin of NOVA the North County was split off. It was originally hosted in San Jose, and I think our, enti our entire county was in one, uh, that region. It's not uncommon for an entire county to be covered um, by a workforce board. Um, the North County cities didn't feel they were getting much attention as much as the city of San Jose was, and so at some point, Nova split off um, to do that. Uh, it's very efficient, I think, for uh, a workforce board like this to have the support of the city in terms of um, a lot of the support functions, like human resources. Um, with, if they're on their own, they need their own human resources department. They need their own attorneys, their own accountants, their, you know, all the, their own IT people. We offer those services for NOVA in most cases, and they do pay for them. So they're allocated overhead for those central support functions that the city of Sunnyvale provides. And I think that's a very efficient way for them to operate. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that we can do that. That really, um, even though they're paying for overhead, it's a lot more expensive if you're doing it all on your own. So I feel very proud that, that we are hosting this for not one, but two counties minus San Jose. And, and I'm more than supportive of this. I, I don't think my mind will change unless somebody says something horrible about the, uh, about our director in public comment, which I very sincerely doubt. When I was at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, I would meet with NOVA because I worked on workforce development. And they were a joy um, as a partner to work with. So I know firsthand just how hard they work and just how impactful they are. So I'm very pleased um, to do this uh, small token of gratitude. So thank you. Thank you. That was the last council question, so I'll open the public hearing. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card in person or raise your digital hand or dial star nine on your telephone now if you wish to address council on this matter. Uh, I'll call on members in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute when it's their turn to address council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards in person. Uh, city clerk, any remote speakers for this item? No, Mayor. Okay, I will close the public hearing and bring it back to Council for a motion. Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. I'm ready with the motion. Go right ahead. I move alternative one. 
Thank you. Councilmember Melton. Second. To your motion. Thank you. I'll be very brief. I think NOVA plays an essential role in our community and for our residents and for the larger area. I think we're going to see that even more necessary as it goes forward. I think our director has been doing a fantastic job, uh, and this is the right thing to do. So I hope that my colleagues will support it. Thank you very much. I'll be supporting this motion. Uh, definitely the number of WARN acts that I have been getting over the last few months has been uh, somewhat difficult. And, you know, working with the director of NOVA, uh, updating her and, and the outreach team that she has to immediately uh, go and communicate to these to these businesses that are doing um, layoffs is, you know, incredible. And, and thank you for, for what she's doing to try to make sure that, that you know, the those people that are being laid off right now are getting work or at least getting the support they need to to figure out what that next job might be so so this to me is is an important effort to make sure that she gets paid appropriately and then just um, as as the city manager said previously the history of of this program you know is pretty amazing and it shows that that you know what was done here it was so successful that we took over second county's efforts uh, to a large degree and and continue to successfully do that uh, within the community so I'm happy to support this motion with that city clerk uh, please conduct a roll call vote first up councilmember Cisneros how do you vote yes councilmember Sell. yes mayor Klein yes vice mayor Dean yes councilmember Srinivasan yes councilmember Mellinger Yes. Councilmember Melton. Yes. The motion carries 7-0. Thank you very much. Next are Councilmember reports on activities from Intergovernmental Committee assignments. Are there any? I see none. Um, finally, are non-agenda items and comments? Council? Oh. Go ahead. You're... you're Go ahead, Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to uh, mention to Councilmember um, Melton, I'm also going to Washington. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Oh, very good. Very <laughs> thank good. you. And, thank, and thanks to all those council members that are going to NLC. Uh, City Manager, do you have any non-agenda items? Um, I do. I wanted to share some good news. Um, I was notified today um, that we received a one-half million dollar grant that'll be applied toward the Lakewood Branch Library and Learning Center. Um, that grant will uh, make that new building a demonstration project for electri electrification. It's an all-electric building, um, and so uh, that came from Silicon Valley Clean Energy, and I want to thank the staff in both um, uh, library and recreation services as well as uh, environmental services who collaborated to apply for that grant no fantastic wow. news great um, nothing else that's all okay let's move to adjournment this meeting is adjourned at 1042 uh, thanks to every, everyone who participated tonight and spent their Valentine's Day with us have a good evening <laughs>